five, four, three, two, one. Wong. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we're going to be looking at two Marvel properties, the limited show, or limited series, Moon Knight, starring Oscar Isaac. Uh, we're going to be recapping the whole series and discussing our thoughts on the series as a whole, rather than just individual episodes, as we have in the past. But the main event, of course, is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the new Sam Raimi-directed, Benedict Cumberbatch-led, multiversal action superhero film starring Doctor Strange of Avengers fame, uh, jumping through different universes in uh, an attempt to to save the universe in typical superhero fashion. Uh, how are you doing today, Lewis? I'm not bad, thank you. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited. We've waited for years for this film, and uh, I'm feeling good. How are you doing? I, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty swell. Uh, I've got quite a lot to talk about um, with with what I've been up to. Uh, you know, recently in the cinema and stuff, so I'm, I'm quite yeah. excited for the episode and two two very different Marvel things. Um, you know, obviously we moan about Marvel a lot, but you know we'll see if, if we uh, if we, we praise these. Uh, if you want to get straight to the Doctor Strange review, uh, the the links the the timestamp for when the the non spoiler review and the spoiler review start will be in the description along with the the rest of the times and stuff. So. If you want to skip past the boring bit and straight to that, you can do that. But if you want to stay along for the ride, we've got a whole lot of other stuff to talk to, namely Moon Knight and a little bit of discussion about the BAFTA Television Awards that happened uh, today. So, well, when we're recording. So, uh, to start off, uh, I'm just going to ask you the same question I ask you every week, man. What have you watched? I have been up to quite a bit this past week. I've seen quite a little bit that is worth talking about the first thing that i'll say and i'll just mention this fleetingly because it's far too big of a thing to go into detail i finally i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before many many moons ago uh, the netflix original comedy series grace and frankie um which is netflix's longest running comedy show um and it finally ended uh, this year, these past few weeks, the final episodes got released on Netflix, and I, I watched them last night, and I've always loved Grace and Frankie, it's one of my favourite shows uh, that Netflix have done, I, I really love it, it stars Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin as two uh, old, older women in their 80s, and their husbands one day tell them both that they're gay and they're leaving their wives, so... Grace and Frankie, played by Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, strike up an unlikely friendship uh, that lasts for seven wonderful series, and it came to an end, and it was very emotional, it was very sad, uh, and I was very satisfied with the ending. It was a bit weird, but I was very satisfied with how they handled it, and um, I loved it. It's a great show, and I'm excited to forget it so I can rewatch it again, because I love it that much. Nice. Um a few other things that I've watched, I watched Downton Abbey 2, which was a, I have to say Downton Abbey 2, it's called Downton Abbey, A New Era, um, which it was a bit strange because I've never seen an episode of Downton Abbey before and I've not seen the first Downton Abbey film. So it was weird to delve into this world for the first time after like seven or eight series of television and a film, uh, you know, it was strange and it did take me a while to figure out who was who, what their relationships were to each other, who was, you know, the daughter and the father and the mother and sister and everything. Um, but after I did figure that out, it was actually quite enjoyable. It was a fun little film. I'm sure like 90% of it went over my head because I haven't watched the years of TV building up to it. Um, but it was an enjoyable little film. It's about bringing in 
you know, downturn into a new era, entering the 1930s. And uh, they're filming a moving picture at Downton, and it causes a lot of uh, a lot of stress and a lot of controversy in the the grounds of Downton. Um, the other thing that I watched now, I was meant to ask you this before we start recording, so you can tell me now. I think we're going to do an episode on everything, everywhere, all at once when it actually releases. I have watched that this yeah. past week, so we are going to do an episode on it. So I won't go into what I thought of it. Um, I imagine we will, yeah. Yeah, so I, I watched that this past week. I got to watch it in IMAX as well, which was nice. Um, and then I watched um, Basic Instinct for the first time, uh, Paul Verhoeven's film, the second Paul Verhoeven film I've seen this year after Benedetta, and um, Basic Instinct starring Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. Um, and it was a really great film. It was made, It was in the 90s, and I remember watching it now, a few days ago, whenever it was, and thinking it's unbelievably violent and sexual for a film made in the 90s. Um, we really need to get back to films like being like this. Like, it, it's rated 18. Boy, have I got something for you. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't wait to hear about it, because I know what it is. Mm. But, um, yeah, Basic Instinct, it's a really... A really erotic, violent film that really surprised me by how violent and erotic it is for the the 90s American film with Sharon Stone and, and Michael Douglas in it. Um, and it's really, really wonderful. It's very well made. The The score is fantastic. And Sharon Stone gives one of the most captivating performances you'll ever see. You just can't take your eyes off her character or off her any of the times because it's any time that she's on the screen because she's just incredible in it and genuinely one of the most iconic uh characters in cinema and of course the the leg crossing scene is one of the most iconic moments in cinematic history and uh the line have you ever fucked on cocaine nick will always be one of the best things that anyone's ever said um and finally the final two things that i've watched is the past couple of weeks i've had the james bond series like my little oh, mini yeah. series within the episodes of the podcast um have been on and this past week i've got two to talk about because i've seen two i watched goldfinger and thunderball and uh, i watched goldfinger about a week ago and i watched thunderball earlier today and um i'm really happy that we're at this point in the james bond series they're releasing one a week and i said with dr no and i said it from with russia with love they're still finding their feet they finally found their feet with goldfinger and especially with thunderball goldfinger is probably the most iconic one it's the one that we covered on the podcast in a lot of detail when we did our classic bond episode um so go back and listen to that if you're interested uh, so i'll focus mainly on thunderball thunderball is a real i enjoyed it a lot more than i remembered than i thought i did um it's a film it kind of feels like it's they kind of discovered that you can film underwater and so they went all out because there are a lot of <laughs> underwater sequences in this film um like a lot and it's bold how confident they are as well like there are sequences that go on for five or six minutes just underwater which means there's no dialogue there's no kind of explosions or environmental sounds there are just people swimming or people fighting underwater um, with a great score uh, uh, alongside it. And it works really, really well. And it's really beautiful. It's the first Bond film shot in Panavision as well, widescreen, as opposed to 1.85. So it feels a lot more kind of cinematic and just bright and technicolor, especially with all the underwater scenes. It's It's really amazing. And I liked it a lot more than I remembered. I maybe even liked it more than Goldfinger, which is insane. Um, 
and uh, wow. and yeah, I really enjoyed Thunderball, and I can't remember wh- I can't remember which one's next. So uh, I'm excited to get into that. Whatever, whichever one is next, I'm excited to get into that next. And that is everything that I've watched this week, other than Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So what about you? And Moon Knight. And Moon Knight, of course, yeah. So what about you? What have you watched this week? Well, um, I'll quickly get out. The, well, not quickly get out because I'm probably going to detail to a degree, but I'll get out of the way before I go into my section that probably be recurring for the next three or, three or four weeks. Um, I, I'll quickly say that I watched two Japanese films, very different Japanese films. Um, firstly, I watched um, 2019's uh, Weathering With You, which is from the same people that made Your Name. So Makoto uh, Shinkai, uh, I'm probably butchering the, the pronunciation, but that's the director, also made y- Your Name. Very successful anime film. This is also an anime film um, about a someone that... that, that uh, is a runaway, runs away to Tokyo uh, without his parents knowing, tries to to find his own own way, and kind of falls in love with uh, a girl who can cause rain to stop at any time by praying. She's a sunshine girl, uh, and I saw it on the BFI IMAX screen, which is the biggest cinema screen in the country, as part of the BFI's anime season. And I've got to say, seeing anime. And especially film anime, that film quality anime, and and this specifically on that that massive screen was an amazing experience. Being able to see that that wonderful detail and really appreciate the the every tiny little speck of the excellent, wonderful animation uh, was, was an excellent experience. Um, I really really enjoyed it. It was it it was a it was cutesy. I mean, okay, it was a little bit stupid. It was kind of like. Um, who cares about anything? I'm just so in love, and it's very teen angsty and and all that kind of stuff. And and the some of the the kind of ending plot resolution is very you know interesting when you think about it. But you get wrapped up in the the emotion of it. You get wrapped up in the romance, and you get wrapped up into that into that kind of coming of age stuff. That that so I, I didn't really care, but it was really beautiful, uh, both kind of emotionally and uh, and most importantly visually, uh, sounded wonderful as well. So that was weathering with you. I then watched. One of the most critically came films of all time, uh, which was 1953's very, very differently. You know, not we're talking about bright and colourful, constantly filled with detail, uh, you know, constantly moving, exciting, supernatural, weathering with you. Comparing it from to 1953's Tokyo Story, uh, you know, the Ozu film, which is famously minimalist. Of course, it's black and white, but you know, just even within its plot and its actions. Uh, extremely minimalist. Uh, the the lives of uh, two two parents uh, going to to Tokyo for the first time. Two from rural family who go to Tokyo for the first time to meet their their pet their, their children and their grandchildren, and and kind of find that they've kind of moved on with modern life and that kind of traditional family values are starting to to fall apart. Now. We talked a little bit last week when you talked about the conversation about on Breathless about how you watch a lot of old films, you appreciate how good they are, but don't necessarily connect with them yourself, and that how those two films we you know you managed to connect to anyway. This was definitely an example of of the former. This is one of the times where I, I did kind of write a I'm going to kind of paraphrase my own review on Letterboxd, but uh, that's Sam Hoos on Letterboxd. But I I, uh, nice I can appreciate the plate the film's place in the wider narrative of the history of cinema. I understand why people love Ozu, I understand why people love this, I understand, you know, the, the importance of, of that amongst, you know, the, the Hollywood glamour of the time. 
but it really wasn't for me. I, I really didn't enjoy it. Uh, I thought the dialogue was wonderful. I thought that um, that some of the acting, especially from uh, Rio and, and Hara, is, is wonderful. But I was kind of, and I hate to sound like a, you know, some sort of, you know, idiot or anything, but I was really, really bored. I was kind of waiting for the film to finish for the whole time. And I think the fact that these characters were so one note, you know, these are like living indications of traits. These are kind of personifications of individual emotions and tendencies rather than kind of fully people with the exception of Ryu's character uh, and, and Hara's it kind of meant that I couldn't really connect with the film emotionally and therefore I just felt like I was watching the story of, of you know, a, a parents visiting uh, Tokyo for the weekend that didn't particularly interest me. Uh, I also don't necessarily have the understanding of the, you know, this is about the breaking down of the Japanese family. I don't really understand the, the tradition of the Japanese family in the same way. Obviously, Western views on family are obviously very different. And also, it's kind of vaguely conservative on that kind of family stuff, which I'm always kind of, I'm not particularly like that myself. I don't necessarily believe in the, the necessity of family and such in, in the same sense. Uh, as I say in my review, beautifully shot, undeniably important. But ultimately, not for me. So that was Tokyo Story. Maybe my Cinevar card will be revoked. Um, <laughs> but if I'm going to earn it back, I'm going to earn it back now because I want to talk about the new French extremity. We've got we've so, both got a, a, a very we've got a recurring series, and yours makes me look like a massive normie because I'm talking about James Bond every week, and you're talking about new French yes. extremity. So yes, tell us about yes, that. What are, is that? What is the new French extremity? Well. The Effects Extremity is a film movement that originated in the late 90s and continued through the early and mid 2000s. There's there's two kind of big waves um, and, and they kind of have different traits, but uh, kind of both most known for the works uh, of directors such as uh, Gaspar Noé, uh, some of the work of Claire Denis uh, and amongst others, um, Catherine Brian and the... Defining features is that it they tend to focus on extreme subjects that were perhaps lacking in the kind of what they what the, the filmmakers saw as the mundane world of kind of Hollywood cinema at the time, and by extreme we're talking about extreme amounts of blood, uh, violence, uh, sex, gore, explicit sex often, uh, and talking about these issues either directly referring to or allegorically relate in relation to the political climate of France at the time. Uh, the big, big difference, you know, that, that people use the phrase torture porn, which I think is often very uh, unfair and, and undermines the, the narratives and the importance and the meanings and themes of films. But I don't think that you, I think you could easily differentiate these films from those because I, I believe somebody else, I, I don't know who, who said this, but describe these films as not being violent films, but films about violence. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Uh, and a lot of these films would disgust a lot of people, people perhaps that would focus a lot more on, on the actual content rather than the meaning of the content. And everyone's, you know, fine to do that. If you want to do that, that's fine. Uh, other people may love it. It's very much, uh, an, you know, not for everyone. I think that's a, a, the, the most basic statement you could say about uh, the New French Extremity. Well, the BFI uh, in London and South Bank are, are doing a New French Extremity season uh, created by the wonderful Anna Bogusgaya. Uh, and I, I've been attending uh, a few of the things on that. I attended her 
opening talk. I hadn't seen any of the films. I was unfamiliar with the, the works in general before the talk, but I attended a wonderful talk from, from her, uh, followed by a number of films that were introduced by different film scholars, uh, including the ones that I'm going to talk about now. So Trouble, uh, first, first thing I saw was, was the 2001 film Trouble Every Day, directed by Claire Denis, of course known for films such as, uh, I always struggle to pronounce it, I believe it's Beau Travel, um, or uh, Chocolat, and and High Life with Robert Pattinson. Um, a, a filmmaker that I think uh, cannot particularly be defined by any particular movement or or genre. She she seems to to you know go between sci-fi and drama and, and horror and and all these different elements. Just whatever you know, she feels the stories that she wants to tell. And I think this is is you know very different to a lot of her other work. Uh, but this is an, uh, this Trouble Every Day is an example of New French Extremity, uh, much for its allegorical nature, but also because of the very extreme depiction of sex and violence. Of course, well, not of course, but in this film there is no actual visible unstimulated sex, but sex is, is a big part of the story and we see kind of sex scenes uh, and the nature of it you know, is very violent because this is a film about two cannibals, uh, both of which, one, Vincent Gallo plays a, a, a cannibal called Dr. Shane Brown, uh, and Beatrice Dow plays a woman called Corey, uh, both of which have their own partners. Uh, they have a kind of, it's a sci-fi premise essentially that they both have an, a, a virus that means that every time they have sex, they cannot help but devour their sexual partner in a very bloody and disgusting manner. Uh, Beatrice Dow's Corey is locked up by her husband uh, to try and protect her and protect those around her. However, she constantly makes attempts to escape. And you see very early on on the film, she escapes and manages to to have sex and kill a local truck driver. Vincent Gallo, who comes over on his to, to Paris on his honeymoon, however, is free but manages to stop himself from having sex. Uh, and and his wife is very confused about why that is. Now. Whilst it has a very sci-fi premise, it doesn't feel like that in any in any actual reality. It doesn't feel sci-fi at all. Uh, the the discussion that it, it it brings up on sexual appetite and how we control our sexual urges is very apparent. It does not take a film scholar to work out what the film is saying here, um, but it's just wonderfully atmospheric. And it's the point it makes is interesting. The way that you know the two characters, one that's man and one's woman, the way that they're both treated, the one that one's locked away, the one that one isn't point that was made excellently by Sophie, uh, Sophie Max Kaufman who introduced the film uh, I think yeah it's, just, it's very interesting ask sort of questions you could probably fit the amount of dialogue in this film on half a page it's just a lot of, of long takes and and just atmospheric shots and, and kind of uh, quiet sexuality uh, it's actually not as violent as you'd imagine there's only a few scenes that, that are violent but that when they are they are very violent uh, and and there's just a, a wonderful quote that was that was read out before the film that in Claire Denise films uh, she shoots her subjects like she's in love with them. And I think it, it's so true, uh, f- you know, uh, I think especially, you know, watching Trouble Every Day, it's so true the way that, that, that Vincent Gallo and Beatrice Dow specifically are, are shot every scene. It's, it's like the camera is in love with them. It's truly wonderful. I think the cinematography in that film was, was some of the best I've seen in a long time. I was I, very interesting. It's a film that stayed with me for a long time. And I think so far it's the, the highlight of the, of the, of the genre. I then went to go see Romance, which is uh, Catherine Brienne's film from 1999, uh, which I believe was very, quite controversial at the time uh, and has some very, um, I'd say, interesting, perhaps problematic 
behind the scenes tales and such that that may pervert the the narrative around the film itself um whether you think that is uh you know important or not is is up to you um but basically romance is a film about a woman played by Caroline uh Caroline Ducey uh, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right she is in love with her boyfriend she's desperately madly in love with her boyfriend almost to an obsessive level but she but he sorry does not want to you know reciprocate her love by having sex he's very non-sexual she is essentially a nymphomaniac and that begins to drive her insane uh to the point where she feels the need to to have affairs with a number of people around france around around where she lives in, in paris uh and you know and the whole film very much unlike trouble every day where there's very little dialogue the film is constantly narrated by her and and she she talks about her thoughts on sexuality you know what what she you know why she's so sexual what she gets from it what she thinks is is hot and such uh and the film is is definitely part of the new french straight movement not for any violence there's 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 moments of, of sexual violence but there's no moments of, of blood or gore or death but instead there are scenes uh, of explicit unstimulated sex um that you know actually happened you know actual um you know body parts getting involved with one another and and such and it's very you know obviously graphic and some uh, actors used were porn stars others were actors and actresses that were willing to to get their bits out um it's probably one of the most interesting films i've ever seen i honestly i normally rate films which i know a lot of people are against rating films but i always rate films on letterbox i, I haven't given romance a rating i saw it for three or four days ago I, I i don't think i'll ever have an answer i don't know how i feel about the film i'm it purely asked a lot of questions um i think it actually if anything brings a lot out of yourself i think uh that it makes that the film didn't give me answers but kept asking me questions about my own sexuality and my own thoughts and i think the way that it tried to to prod and pervert and and disturb this kind of pristine mind uh, mindset or pristine idea of what we consider to be good about sex or bad about sex uh you know i think it was just a really interesting uh tale and i think a lot of the scenes with the with the red dress you know the way that you know the the, the film is shot in a very um you know it's very bright it's very clean it's very perfect her world with her, her boyfriend and you know the way that color is used to kind of uh associate you know with with her kind of trying to find some control to her trying to break the mundaneity of her life and i think that was fascinating and i did attend a uh a philosophical discussion of romance following the screening which uh, something very ha funny happened in but i will not be talking about that until the end of the episode because i think it'll be too long so i don't want to shove that in the middle but i've got a story to tell about that but romance extremely extremely interesting a film that also dealt with the mundanity at least in my opinion dealt with the mundanity of your normal life was the 2002 film in my skin uh by marina devan uh starring marina devan directed by marina devan and, uh, and written by marina devan uh which is a very, very, very interesting piece. Um, I believe early in Marina Devan's life, um, she broke her leg. I think she was, she was just a child uh, and was looking down at her leg and couldn't feel it. And she didn't, and for, for because she she couldn't feel anything, she saw it not as herself, but as an object. And I think that concept, that, that emotion has obviously went with her her entire life. Uh, in My Skin is about very similar subject a woman who starts where well, she has an accident 
she cuts her leg quite badly, injures her leg quite badly when she's at a party, um, and kind of starts to obsess over kind of the pain and and the the lack of pain. Some parts of her leg she can't feel, um, and some parts she can feel very strongly. And she becomes kind of obsessed with, despite whilst she's having a quite successful career, quite a normal kind of boring life in an office that she feels suffocates her, she kind of gets her kicks by cutting up and destroying and ripping apart her own body. Now, no one is doubting the the extreme nature of this. Uh, This has constant, quite violent, quite disgusting, quite gory scenes of her ripping up and eating her own skin um this is not for the faint of heart uh without talking about the film itself on a personal level this is probably the most terrified i've been going into a film since i was a child when i was 15 or 16 watching it in the cinema or when i was 11 watching the woman in black for the first time uh and and i actually struggled through scenes in the cinema i mean this is a film that is quite not easy to find i think there are dvds out there but you know it's, it doesn't get screened very often so it shows it's it's not an easy watch um it's not easy to get yourself around to and it also in, in the other way isn't an easy watch i mean i really struggled i didn't ever look away from the screen but you know since then i was going oh ah oh when you're watching her you know with a carving knife going at her own leg you know it's it's not an easy watch but i think it ha- it, it posed some really interesting questions i think actually you could link it to a lot of, of the scenes in romance, you know, trying to find self-control in your life and uh, trying to break the the kind of the the dullness of, of existence. Um, again, you know, it's it's more, it asks more questions than it answers. Uh, the nature of the film is not explicit. The allegory, unlike Travel Every Day, doesn't seem to jump out at me. Um, but I think there's a lot of interesting ideas presented there. Now, I'm not going to, this well, I guess pardon the kind of sexual nature of the films. I'm not going to go on a massive wank fest and uh, and just like say everything <laughs> is great and these are all, um, you know, this is every single film and this this very controversial movement is amazing. Because I also watched Blase Moi, which is one of the more controversial films. I believe it was I believe it was banned in France for uh, a while. I think it was given an X rating, which basically means you can't show it unless like you're like one of like ten cinemas in the whole country in France. So it essentially, was censored for for a while. Um, and Blase Moi, uh, which is directed by uh, Virginia Dis- Dispenses and Coraline Trintree. I'm pronouncing those names very wrongly. I- I'm not sure at all how to pronounce those. Um, but this is a, a rape revenge flick about uh, a woman, a young woman who, who gets raped uh, and decides that kind of that's it. She goes on a on the on a kind of on the run with someone else. She meets at a train station, another woman, and they go around fucking every man they see and murdering every man they see and murdering every just people in the street and just you know just going absolutely hog wild right and that that's kind of the plot of the film it has constant not constant but a lot of scenes of very strong violence a lot of scenes of unstimulated graphic sex once again a number of porn actors involved in this film a number of actors who didn't mind just being very sexual now i, I just think that having violence and having sex doesn't necessarily mean that your film is is intelligent and and worthy of discussion and allegory and such um like you might think that i i'm kind of leaning towards that in in terms of the new french extremity in generally uh, because i think that was essentially substanceless i thought it was trashy i thought it was ugly i thought it was morally suspect obviously ridiculously politically incorrect i think the that the, the the low production values of the, of the 2000s camcorder vibe um 
whilst it perhaps made it feel more timely, didn't I thought didn't make it feel any better. I, you know, I think it just made it look uglier. The agenda itself is confused. It is, say, morally destitute. I mean, it, it it's you know, uh, in many ways, a kind of awful picture. But for some reason, I really did have fun with it. Scenes of people sh- shooting, sh- you know, uh, shooting a man in his asshole. Uh, one, one was <laughs> at one point. Uh, just the random, stupid, cheesy, catchy dialogue. Um, the re- awful, loud, booming music. For some reason, even though this film is, and I do believe to be awful an awful piece of, of cinematic filmmaking uh, it, it was quite fun so yeah uh i've got a lot more planned um i've got i'm going to be going to screenings of a lot of gaspar noe films which i've not seen any yet of i've only actually all only women filmmakers so far it's a so far you know uh i guess that's an interesting thing you can bring up but um yeah, looking forward to seeing some Gaspar Noé films uh, and uh, The Ordeal and uh, a number of other things um, throughout the next few months. Um, well, for next month, throughout the next rest of the month, sorry, throughout the rest of May. Um, but yeah, this is just the introduction to the genre. Uh, you know, so quite niche, very controversial. Uh, and the early section, the early 2000s, the late 90s, early 2000s, um, kind of all about art house cinema, not horror horror comes none of the even if your description sounded quite horror horror like none of the films i've just described so far i would describe as a horror at all um i think that that kind of happens later on more well-known films such as martyrs um come about towards the end and the audio come towards the end of the, the the genre but um yeah so far it's only been art house films and but i've i've generally had a very good time uh blazing Marisside, which translates to fuck me if someone doesn't know french um yeah so that, that was, sounds um, fun. That was a new French extremity. <laughs> sounds interesting. I wish I could watch them because no doubt I wouldn't be able to tolerate them. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was quite long, but it was. But it, it was felt interesting. nice because I've had a lot of that stuff to 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 just kind of mull over and deal with in my head without actually think actually be able to like because it's kind of so niche it's not like i'm going to be tweeting about it and like i'm going to get responses you know what i mean so um i guess let's just talk about it it's nice to get it off your chest and it is interesting i find it interesting yeah yeah well i mean you of course you your sensibilities and your kind of feelings towards uh, gore and horror well obviously this isn't horror but gore and violence and stuff means that a lot of these um would be hard watches but i do think that that you definitely would well romance completely you know it's it's not violent at all that that yeah. one you could definitely watch uh, and I also think Blazemar what despite its violence never feels like uh, any more than you'd see in an action film really so I think yeah. you could see those as long as it's um, not gory and I'd tr- be okay with it yeah yeah maybe trouble every day not so much and especially especially not in my skin because as I say that was one of the toughest watches of mm. my entire life um, yeah that one yeah. definitely doesn't sound like it's for me <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. The ordeal sounds like that as well, but I have to say when I actually see it. Yeah, I might check so, out. Uh, fuck me or Bazemore. Yeah, it's uh, if you can find it. I don't know how easy it is to find, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 not good. Okay, <laughs> so moving on to the news section. The big news biggest today. news of the week. The biggest news of the week. The biggest news of the day. The big, very big news for me. Huge news, Lewis. For you. Um, Sex Education's Chuti Gatwa is the new doctor. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, we don't talk about film uh, television that much on the show. We used to do more than we do now. Um, but we, we are supposed to be all film, film and TV, so we have a right to talk about it. I'm a big, big Doctor Who fan. Um, I've never seen Sex Education, uh, but he got announced today uh, at the BAFTA Television Awards uh, to be the 14th, technically not the 14th, but the 14th main incarnation of The Doctor. Um, pretty big news, man. Uh, I, you've seen Sex Education, right? I have, yeah, I have. Now, I haven't seen Sex Education, but I love Doctor Who. Uh, you have seen Sex Education, but you're... Un, you're you, well, it's not that you have a problem with it, but you haven't seen Doctor Who, you're not a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Uh, Enlighten me. Should I be excited about Chuty Gatwa? Yes, he's a fantastic actor. He's really funny. He's great in in Sex Education. And weirdly, his fame level has been increasing drastically over the past few years. And I am very excited because I met him once when he played Mercutio in a production of Romeo and Juliet that I went to see that happened in an abandoned Victorian swimming baths. So... Wow. That's a weird thing, and he was very good in that as well. He has a lot of charisma. He has a lot of uh, a lot of personality. He's very funny. He's very charming, and I think and I've never seen Doctor Who, so I don't know what the character's normally like. I assume it's different every with every actor. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I feel like he's going to bring something very new. He's a lot younger as well, I think. So, um, or he seems a lot younger because he's playing a teenager in Sex Education. But um, yeah, I think you should very much be excited. I think he's going to take it in a very new, interesting direction. You definitely should watch Sex Education. Yes, I, I um, I, I think that it, it's it's an interesting one because he's actually a, with the exception. Well, as I say, generally that they've been less famous. That that the general rule with with most Doctor is that they're not been that famous. But I'm now thinking about it. Every time a new Doctor comes out, that statement becomes less and less true because they keep picking famous ones. Yeah. So David Tennant wasn't famous. Matt Smith wasn't famous. Uh, and almost every one of the classic Doctors wasn't famous. I don't think there's any one of the eight of them, well, seven of them, sorry, that were famous originally. Paul McGann was quite well known. But um, but Peter Capaldi was, was decently well known because of the thick of it. Uh, Jodie Whittaker was decently well known for a number of things that she'd been in. Uh, but I think that right now, because it's a Netflix show, because it's it's popular in America as well, in a way, Chutie's probably the the most famous one. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, I think so. I mean, I Russell don't know T. Davies who, is doing yeah. it. Yeah, Russell T. Davies is doing is doing the new show again, which we talked about in the podcast before when that was announced. He, he did the first four series, which is by a distance the best series of the show, the best series ever in the 50 years history of the show. So I'm, I'm happy to have him back. Uh, also, um, a lot of people have been reporting that uh, Shuki Gatwa is the, the first black doctor. Uh, now, I will be telling you that that isn't true. Uh, he's the second black doctor. Uh, Joe Martin is the first black doctor, but he's the first uh, black main incarnation of the doctor because uh, Joe Martin's fugitive doctor is a secondary character in the show. Uh, but this isn't the first one. But it's nice to have a, a black main doctor. It has been established for a long time in the show that the doctor could be any human, any gender, any uh, ethnicity. Uh, and it just happened that the first 13 times he rolled the dice, or first 12 <laughs> times he rolled the dice, he happened to get white man. Um, two times in a row he's rolled the dice and he's happened to get something else now. So it's nice to see that the show is finally embracing that diversity instead of just going for white British bloke uh, again and again. Um, now, you know, of course, the other, and I think uh, as well, you know, known for, uh, he's like 
portrayal or of a very outwardly gay character in sex education that i i'm not sure i believe that he's uh, gay in real life he is um yeah. so yeah exactly so that's another part of the you know representation and obviously that's been annoying uh the the, the people that you'd imagine it'd be annoying all day um i haven't seen that much but I think actually, most of the reactions have been overwhelmingly positive which surprised me i thought that i'd see a lot more well, i think it depends what, where you're looking if you're looking in the replies to GB News's tweet, that um, is true, it's, yeah. it's not so positive. That is true. Yeah, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't go to that side of, of from, Twitter. <laughs> from intelligent society, it's been very positive. But it's always nice to see diversity, uh, especially in kind of one of the biggest roles. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important to have it in, in kind of one of the biggest uh, kind of pedestals uh, of British acting. You know, it's like that with James Bond. It's a role that is always the same, but changes in, in a kind of weird way where you always have that conversation ongoing of who's going to be the next Doctor, who's going to be the next James Bond. The next James Bond is... It, is, is unknown right now, but we know the next Doctor is Judy Gatwa, and I'm very excited um, to see what he's Maybe got. Maybe Asa I, Butterfield will make will be the next James Bond, and the two pillars of British acting will be sex education. Will be the sex education boys. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That'd be weird. Um, there was a lot of talk that Ollie Alexander was going to be the next uh, Doctor. Um, that's been really? ongoing for months. Yeah, um, and that obviously wasn't didn't end up. So maybe that means that he's uh, free to step into the uh, James Bond role. So that's what we get <laughs> the yeah. James Bond. Years and years is um, Ollie Alexander, Polly Palexander. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I was going to say something else and I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Um, he was, uh, If you listen to the interview with Rusty Davies, when he announced the doctor, when he was talking about the doctor being announced, he said that he he he, he had, it was almost 100% certain who the doctor was going to be. Uh, they they decided on someone. And then the very last audition was Tutti. Cam, he came in and completely dazzled them and completely won the part. Um, so it might, that's fascinating. So if, you know, the, I think one of the greatest individual creative bodies in the history of the show, if he felt that strongly, if he got really that dazzled, I'm sure we all will. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, well, that was announced at the British Academy Television Awards, uh, the BAFTAs, uh, the other BAFTAs. And we didn't talk about TV that much, but we thought it would be important to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that were were nominated. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the the one of the things that we did talk about on the podcast, uh, It's a Sin, didn't end up winning its category of Best Miniseries, which I was really, really backing. But Time, the incredibly successful uh, television show uh, starring uh, Stephen Graham and Sean Bean, won it. It won Best uh, Miniseries. Best Drama Series was won by In My Skin, which, you know, sounds awfully like the film I've been talking about earlier, but uh, <laughs> not, you know, that's, I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a different thing. Uh, and, and Motherland won uh, Best Scripted Comedy, which slightly uh, hurt as someone that was backing Staff Let's Flats. Best Single Drama went to, to Together. Now, obviously, both of us can look through the, the nominations uh, and, and there's a lot of, of, of great names in there. A lot of people that are notable in in film conversation recently better best actress went to jodie comer who's of course talked about a lot uh in conversations for for the oscars and such for her performance in the last duel while she won best actress uh the baftas for help um also starring stephen graham who himself was nominated uh for two acting categories for help in in leading and supporting for time uh the it's a sin cast received a number of nominations uh including uh uh, best actor for Ollie Alexander, previously mentioned, uh, and supporting actor nominations for David Carlyle, Amari Douglas, 
uh, and an actress nomination for Lydia West. Uh, Sean Bean won Best Actor for Time. Uh, Matthew McFadden for uh, Sporting Actor in Succession. And and uh, Kate, Kathy Tyson for Sporting Actress in Help. Now, there's an awful lot of uh, very... Uh, uh, there's a lot of, of great categories and interesting categories here that I, I, I enjoy. I like the fact there's a comedy performance category. I wish we could see that at you know, yeah. film awards. Um, J- Jamie Dimitriou did win for Staff Let's Flats, which is you know great. He's wonderful. Uh, another, a nomination amongst uh, in Best Male Comedy Performance was for the previously mentioned Inchuti Gatwa, who got nominated for his performance in Sex Education. Oh, nice. And there's a lot of, 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 of categories that too many for us to mention. Um the Chase won for Best Daytime, which you know is, is a lot very close to my heart. Um, <laughs> the the Gogglebox won Best Reality Show. Um, but I wanted to discuss the must-see moment category with you. I don't know. if Have you seen the nominations? If you haven't, please don't look at them. Um, I saw them a long time ago, but I've forgotten them. Because I remember now, one of them. There was an Oscars moment category, of course, this year. Yeah. Um, and it was like fan voted and such. And I, th- I can't remember what won it. The Speed Force thing, wasn't it? Yeah, from... Uh... Justice League. Uh, yeah, uh, and this is a musty moment. It's been going on for about five years, I think, at the the Bath TV Awards. Uh, now, I, I just wanted to mention this because it's the funniest group of nominations ever. <laughs> the nominations are such a random, eclectic mix, right? <laughs> of, <Okay>. of... <laughs> These are the musty I, moments. I can only remember TV. one of them, and I'm intrigued about the other ones. <laughs> okay, this it's it's a fascinating group of, of <laughs> nominations okay so these are the must-see moments in tv these are voted on by uh the normal people average people on on the internet i believe so the nominations for must-see moments were an audience with adele adele being surprised by the teacher who changed her life okay i'm a celebrity get me out of here Ant and deg dig at downing street lockdown parties what? Strictly Come Dancing, Rose and Giovanni's Silent Dance to Sympathy. Okay. It's a Sin, Colin's Devastating AIDS Diagnosis. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. RuPaul's Drag Race UK, Bimini's Verse in UK, hun. Yeah, that's the one that I knew, yeah. <laughs> and Squid Game, Red Light, Green Light. <laughs> to go from Bimini Bombulash's Verse in UK, hun, to Colin's Devastating AIDS Diagnosis. That is a whiplash. Jesus. Yeah. That is Do you know, can category. you guess which of those won for must-see moment of the year? Must-see moment of the year? Well, unfortunately, it probably won't be Bimini Bomboolash in Drag Race. Um, I don't think enough people watched It's a Sin for it to be that. I'd guess it was probably Adele, like, never doubt the power of Adele. I believe it's the most boring one. If any of them won... Except for this, I would have been happy. Oh no! But unfortunately, it? it was Rose and Giovanni's silent dance to Symphony on Strictly Come Dancing. I don't know if there's a backstory to that. It's really emotional. But I don't know about. If so, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't I watch Strictly either, so I've got no idea. So it, that sounds really boring to me. It, <laughs> so, it just sounds like people uh, dancing on Strictly. Doesn't that happen multiple times every week? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a particularly really emotional dance. I'm not sure. Maybe someone, someone's nan died before. I don't know. But, but yeah, that was the. That was the uh, oh, there is. I've just googled oh. it. There is. We shouldn't have laughed at it. The uh, the the celebrity was deaf, and they, halfway through the performance, they turned all of the music off so the audience could experience what she experienced while they were dancing, and they danced in silence. 
that's a must see moment to be fair so that is uh, a nice moment I, that is a nice emotional moment I'm, you know, I'm gonna take it i'm, I'm gonna apologize on air i'm gonna say yeah. fair enough that fair play that that is quite a must see moment um that is nice apologies. yeah apologies that is nice that is lovely. to be fair that is nice yeah good for that um, i feel bad for laughing now <laughs> yeah maybe we should do coronation street one best soap and continuing drama Good for Corey. What? what, what? EastEnders didn't even get nominated. That's what, didn't Oh, it? my God. Casualty, Emmerdale and Holby did. Wow. Wow. EastEnders didn't even get Dennis nominated. Dennis Waterman died, age 74. Um, rest in peace, Minder. Okay. R.I.P. Let's move on to uh, Moon Knight now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been it's been like an hour, and we still haven't talked about Moon Knight. Um, oh, yeah. We've been in those really short episodes episode. recently, but... This isn't huh? one of them. <laughs> this is yeah, not this one isn't of one of them. This is probably like a two-hour episode. Let's talk about Moon Knight. Let's. So, this is going to have spoilers. This section is going to have spoilers. There'll yeah. be links in the description for when the start of the the, the end. Of, well, the start of Doctor Strange view is, um, and that will include the Avatar. We're going to talk about Avatar's trailer at the same time as Doctor Strange. So, um, there'll be links in the thing if you don't want to hear spoilers for Moon Knight. We are going to be talking about all six episodes of Moon Knight here. Um, so. You have been warned. So, uh, would you like to describe to me what Moon Knight is? I would prefer it if you did it. Not going to lie. Okay. Have you seen Moon Knight? All of Moon I Knight? have seen Moon Knight, but I don't want to do the description episodes. for reasons we will get into when we talk about our reviews. Okay. Moon Knight is the most recent Disney Plus Marvel uh, streaming series, mini series. Starring Oscar Isaac as Mark Spector and Stephen Grant, who are two different uh, alters of uh, a man with dissociative identity disorder. Uh, one of which Stephen Grant is uh, an Englishman, uh, and Mark Spector is an American uh, who is a mercenary. Uh, Mark Spector, uh, who works for the Egyptian god Khonshu, uh, he is a an avatar of the Egyptian god Khonshu who has been tasked with trying to stop uh, a cult leader um, by the name of uh, Harrow, Arthur Harrow, played by the wonderful Ethan Hawke, um, who is trying to bring back uh, a kind of morally suspect Egyptian goddess called Amit, who minority report style uh, wants to punish people before they have done crimes rather than after. Uh, And this... And his, the, the, their journey takes them into the path of a number of figures, including uh, Layla, played by uh, May uh, Kamal- Kalamoy, uh, who is the love interest of the series, but also takes them on a journey through their own past uh, and turning through the reality of, of what caused them to have uh, their their disorder, what causes them to to search for for this this god, uh, and what kind of causes them to be like themselves, and and the kind of the dirty details of the the Egyptian gods' wars and such. So, um, I don't know how that was a bit ham fisted, but that was a, a vague description of the show. Um, now, I'm not going to give you the. I don't know why you didn't want to describe the show. Um, but I am not going to let you off the hook because I want to know what you think from minute one. So I'm going to start you off. I want you to tell me what you think of Moon Knight. That is fine. I have seen Moon Knight. I finished it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'll, I'll mention that it was, I'll quickly mention that it was directed by uh, Mohammed Diab, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. So 
Very nice. Just do that. Written by Jeremy Slater. I have seen Moonlight. I finished it the day that the finale dropped. The reason I didn't want to do the description is kind of the reason I didn't want to say why is because it's very indicative of my review. And that is I didn't really care for Moonlight and I wasn't very much, I wasn't really into it. And to be honest, I didn't really remember the beginning that well because I just wasn't into it. I kind of just put it in the back of my mind. So doing a description would have been quite difficult because my memory of it is quite hazy. Um, because I didn't really care about it. Um, I've said the past, like every single time we've reviewed something Marvel, I've got Marvel fatigue. I'm not particularly into it anymore. And the only thing that keeps me coming back is that I already have an attachment to this universe. And Moon Knight is probably the first Marvel thing in forever that feels completely standalone. Like there's, off the top of my head, I can't think of any connection to the mcu um if it didn't have the marvel logo at the start probably wouldn't know that it was a marvel show um however it is still of marvel quality so i found it very average and because it was so new and not connected to the universe to which i am attached i didn't really care about it and i only watched it so i could say i've watched it if it wasn't marvel I hate myself for feeling this way, by the way, but if it wasn't Marvel, I probably would have stopped after the third episode because I just wasn't invested. I didn't particularly care. Um, I thought the fifth episode was quite interesting and the finale, you know, as usual, it was a massive CGI fight between some giant CGI gods um, that was kind of pointless and unnecessary. Um, and yeah, I just, I kind of, I'm kind of bored of Marvel's approach to TV, specifically their TV. I think it's much worse than their films, even. Um, it's very average. They have, they kind of obsess with saying, you know, we're doing t- movie quality TV, which I think is a very backwards way to think about it. Cause it, it, to me, it implies that movies are inherently above TV. Uh, and I think that's wrong. I think there are so many TV shows that are far better than many films. Um, and I think a lo- the biggest, you know, kind of disadvantage and advantage to TV is that you don't have as much money, which means you have to tell a story that's a lot smaller in scale. And Marvel have kind of not allowed themselves to do that because they give themselves $250 million per series. Although that also limits them to like six half an hour episodes. So they feel overstuffed full of filler and empty at the same time like it feels like the first four episodes are just there and then they cram everything into the last two episodes and i really don't like their approach to tv um i'm not a fan of it and moon knight is kind of the epitome of it i don't hate it any more or less than the other marvel tv shows i just feel like they're all very average um Whereas the reason I feel less connected to this one is because it's so standalone outside of the MCU. And the only reason I'm still watching Marvel stuff is because in a very smart business move, they have, you know, kind of got their hooks in and got me invested in this universe. So anything that doesn't impact the wider universe, I don't particularly care about. Um, so yeah, that's that's my thoughts on Moon Knight. Very average you know, run-of-the-mill Marvel show um, with even less connection to it for me because I don't really care about what Marvel are doing anymore. I think they're just doing very average stuff. Um, so, yeah, which is sad. Yeah, but, yeah, that's my thoughts on yeah, Moon Knight. Yeah, I, I disagree strongly. I know um, you, you loved strongly. Moon Knight, I think. So, uh, yeah, you, I, I you really give us the positive 
You give us the positive. I've done. I've done the yeah, negative side. Of, you give us the positive. For the first four episodes of the show, I, I kind of gave a running review, but I, I didn't do one last week because of being busy when you were over. Um, and uh, so obviously, I'm doing episode six as well in this. Um, I, I thought that Moon Knight was was. I think I have the same problem in a lot of ways. I think with every passing year, you know, I have less care for things like um you know the 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 shang chis and the um eternals and the ant-man and the wasps and the thor twos and such where you know i think that when the kind of the average films i maybe enjoy them at the time but i find that they age kind of poorly and and i can't really get myself particularly involved in the lore anymore yeah. uh, and i think that part of the reason why and i remember kind of pre they're kind of, with, with 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 the attachment to the characters, they kind of went this kind of kind of bell curve where I remember sitting in the cinema watching Black Panther, and I loved Black Panther. I hadn't watched a Marvel film in years. You know, I had to catch up on Marvel films when Infinity War came out because I or when Endgame came out because I had been really fallen behind. But I hadn't watched a Marvel film for years since like 2012 when Black Panther came out, and I remember sitting and watching it and thinking, "This is really good. This is great. I love this film." And then the post credit came on. And I think spoilers, but, you know, Bucky's in it. And I was like, oh, this is so shit. Why do they have to always link it back to the wider universe? Couldn't they just have the Black Panther on his own? Why does it have to, like, be in with his fucking shitty Avengers stuff? And then I then got into Marvel and thought, what a stupid thing to say. It's a big universe. What? How stupid. And then now I've kind of gone back to, actually, yeah, I wish they did do films that were kind of unlinked. I wish that they didn't have to kind of throw it in there, especially when you think of characters like the very grounded kind of, you know, local characters like Hawkeye ends up in space. You know, it's a little bit, you, you get what, what the fuck's going on here? Why, why is, you know, Spider-Man, his first mission, you know, he's with the Avengers and he ends up on the moon or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't make any sense, you know? So I, I think there is a bit of an issue with that. And I think a lot of that fatigue and a lot of the problem that comes with that wasn't there with Moon Knight because it felt so, unconnected it felt it had a different tone it felt a lot darker i, I you know a lot a lot of people were such a cliche with super films but it did feel a lot darker i think uh and it felt like it didn't feel like a superhero film i think he uses the word superpowers in the last episode once or twice but uh, you know even so you know you could say uh, you know same amount of superpowers as, as kind of harry potter has not really it's not like he's iron man um it, it's I think the fact that you know we're looking at it from more more through the perspective of the person than the superhero. You know, I think there's only a kind of a handful of scenes where you see him superpowered. Uh, really, like you kind of get into the mind, actually, quite literally, of Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant slash Jake. <clears throat> um, and I thought it was I thought it was wonderfully uh, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was wonderfully written, uh, especially the early episodes and episode five. Uh, and I, I think that the the acting is probably the most notable thing. I think Oscar Isaac is one of the best actors on the planet. Uh, I think he was truly wonderful in in the card counter. I thought he was excellent in his supporting role in June. Uh, I think you know obviously the films that he's done before that, Inside Llewellyn Davis and Star Wars and such. But I think he's absolutely wonderful here. He's playing two characters. Um, He's kind yeah, of I will just hop in he... and say, yeah, the, the acting is exceptional, better than most Marvel things. Yeah, that is a positive. Yeah, I thought, I think he, he's, he's, he's very much up there uh, yeah. with some of the best kind of individual superhero acting. Um, there was the, the, you know, I said it on the episode four of you, but there's a scene where um, 
mid-scene, he snaps back from the Mark Spector persona to Stephen Grant. No, from, sorry, Stephen Grant to Mark Spector. And I felt weird seeing Mark in those clothes, but I didn't feel weird for the, for the 25 minutes before because I was so attached to them being different people. Um, but I think only a performance that was truly wonderful would actually allow me to get that much into the character to really believe that. I think that there's there's a lot of uh, parallels I could uh, make between this and WandaVision, which was my favourite of the Marvel shows and is one of the, th- the best Marvel properties ever for me. I think it's very much in the kind of top four or five for me. Uh, WandaVision, uh, much like WandaVision, it had a very intriguing original premise in the first two or three episodes. Later on, um, it became, you know, a lot of lore. And then in episode in the penultimate episode, we got a very interesting look at the the person's memories and what built them and the backstory and that was kind of wonderful being able to walk through that and both of them you kind of do actually get to walk through it in different ways uh, in the form of the asylum in this or in the form of the kind of memories that the uh, that, that Wanda kind of gets to experience in WandaVision and then the last episode is fairly superhero the difference is I thought that the superhero ending of of Moon Knight was was far more interesting uh, the CGI is, is very questionable throughout the series I'd say that is one problem it doesn't have movie level CGI However, the the gods look wonderful, especially in episode six. There's a lot of gods fighting. Uh, it's it's intriguing. Uh, the 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 way that the plot the plot was set up following the end of the episode, the, the post credit scene, I thought was, was wonderful. Uh, and I think that everybody in their aunt has been talking about how good Oscar Isaac is, but I think not enough people were talking about how just how good Ethan uh, Hawke is. He, I mean, he's one of the best actors again. He's an absolutely exceptional actor. Uh, and I think in episode six. Uh, him dealing with a lot of the morals stuff and the morals of of his god i i think he was absolutely wonderful too uh i, I think it was really really good basically i think it was real fresh breath fresh air i appreciate the darker tone i appreciate the psychological nature of it it touched on a lot of interesting subjects um there's been the discussion about maybe it doesn't necessarily handle um a lot of the nature of his jewish faith um well enough and i i don't know enough of the subject to, to touch on that but if that is true you know that's one thing that they should have perhaps had more uh expertise around uh especially judging because the character has been changed a bit from the from the comics but going into the you know say going back to the wider issues or wider show i came into the moon knight i came into the announcement of moon knight saying why oh why oh why have they made this serious why have they not made this a comedy moon knight is uh, the comics only work when it's done with a comedic slant parodying Batman because Moon Knight was essentially invented as a trying to be Marvel copying Batman. They very much quick, quickly realized that wasn't going to work. So they turned him into a parody of him with Batman. I was waiting. I was like, why are they not made this into a comedy? Uh, and then they didn't. And I thought it's worked wonderfully. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, overall, I think it's one of the best things Marvel has done in a long time. It almost feels like it, it isn't Marvel. And I think that's a very good thing in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I am going to give it a big thumbs up. And for the last episode, the last installment of the accent update, I am going to change my tune very much because I thought that when people earlier on said, it's his persona, he's got a bad British accent because it's just his persona. I said, that's such a poor excuse. That's ridiculous. And then the last two episodes happened and I went, oh, actually, he's actually, he is actually um, supposed to be... um, like he's actually putting it on like he's actually supposed to be bad a bit a little bit bad he's not supposed to be perfect because he actually made it up when he was like 10 years old so actually i think that uh, my point is all that accent review that i've been doing is kind of pointless actually because um it turns out that, that he was kind of a bit like that anyway he's a bit he's supposed to be like a, ki- a kid doing it anyway so big thumbs up for me um i'm assuming we're gonna have very different ratings uh i'm gonna rate this a solid eight out of ten uh, and i'm gonna give this a 
six and a half out of ten. It's just average. Whoa, that was high. Well, this is what Whoa, I, mean. I don't think high. it's bad. I don't think it's bad. It's Whoa, just average. I expected a three. Oh no, no, it's not a three. Six and a half. It's Jeez. just average. That's it's, not far off me. It's just average. That's all it is. It's average. But you didn't say anything positive, and he gave a very high review. That's closer to ten than it is to like three. Well, yeah, but it's just, it's, it's an average show. There's nothing particularly, it's got some awful CGI. Wow. Well, then it should be five then, shouldn't it? And, well, no, because for me, seven is kind of average, like passable. And I didn't enjoy like, it, so I'm taking it down high. to six and a half. I think that six and a half is, I think you should move it down. Five is average. Not in my book. Five is like low. How, how so? You, don't, you, you haven't got different numbers to the rest of us. Well, no, but the way that I use the numbers is different. Five is like low. Six is, you know, eh. Seven is average. Like, not great, not bad, just it's there. And this had some bad CGI. That gives so little space for definition on good stuff, though. Well, to me, it's a six out of ten. I'll give it a six out of ten. You know, my review seemed very negative, but I don't actually have many negative thoughts about it. It's just a very average show, like everything else. I'd give Loki a 6 out of 10. I'd give Falcon... I actually really like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so I'd give that like a 7 or an 8. But Hawkeye, 6 out of 10. Um, all the other ones, I've forgotten them. All those, 6 out of 10. They're all just average. You know, this is, I, I, this is why I sounded so negative, because I'm sick of the mediocrity, but it is undeniably only mediocre. It's not bad. But it's not. It's not. It's not undeniably because I deny. Well, it. that's true. But to me, it's mediocre. So it's not bad. And the reason it just sounds so negative is because I'm just so sick of mediocrity that I'm kind of like moaning at the fact that it's mediocre. So it sounds negative, but in reality, it is just mediocre. In my opinion, well, I of course. Scream. I certainly scream. Who would? Who would you want a match be? Uh, the man of the match would be Oscar Isaacs, like you said. I think his performance kind of drives the show. Without an actor as strong as him, it all falls apart. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's pretty obvious that it's going to be Oscar Isaac. Okay, that was Moon Knight. Um, yeah. I wonder how... The, they probably inevitably will link that into the Marvel Universe at some point. And yeah. uh, I'm sure he'll fight Iron Man or something. Um, <laughs> something ridiculous like that. Okay. Um, moving on to... Well, moving on to in a wider context, the multiverse of madness, but in reality, actually not, because one of the things about Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness is that it launched alongside the the Avatar two trailer. It did indeed. Um, so we just want to quickly talk about that. Um, so, so I would just talk me through it. Talk me through. Well, the Avatar two trailer finally launched. It got shown at CinemaCon a few weeks ago, or however long ago it was. Uh, and it was announced that it will launch alongside showings of Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness. And it did indeed. And it's there. We have the teaser for Avatar 2. If you've not been to see Doctor Strange, then you've not seen it. This will contain like what is in there, which isn't a lot, but there is some exciting stuff. Now, you and I, I can't remember if we spoke about this on the podcast or if we just spoke about it, but you and I think Avatar 2 is going to be very good. We think that people are underestimating Avatar 2. Um, and I think this trailer kind of proves it. It's a breathtaking trailer, especially in IMAX 3D. I got to see it in IMAX 3D twice. I rewatched Doctor Strange just so I could see the Avatar 2 tra- trailer again. Um, I, and it's amazing. I mean, the CGI is flawless. And, you know, 
I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, James Cameron uses CGI great, which is true. But I've also seen a lot of people say like, they took their time with it. They haven't rushed the CGI artists, the VFX artists trying to rush it out in six months. They've taken their time. The CGI is genuinely flawless. It is unbelievably good. And the visuals, not just the CGI, but the visuals are breathtaking, especially seeing them in 3D. You know, Avatar came out in 3D and kind of blew everyone's minds. So everything got released in 3D. And then nobody really knew how to use 3D effectively. So it kind of dropped off. And now Avatar 2's come out. And I genuinely think nobody knows how to use 3D like James Cameron, because even that teaser trailer contained a more effective use of IMAX 3D than the entirety of Doctor Strange 2, which was also in IMAX 3D. It was mind-blowing. And it, it my hype trailers for Avatar always 2. have better. To be fair, trailers always have better stuff than the films. Always. The Black Widow 40X trailer was so good. And then it actually in 40X wasn't that good. So that's not that out there, to be fair. Well, I suppose so, because it is a compilation of like, the, the most exciting And bit. anyone that's seen a 4K... Um, we'll also know that the best looking part of any 4K film is when the distributors or pro- like production company's logo comes at the beginning, like the Universal logo. That is so much higher definition than anything in the film. Fair Look enough. Out. Fair enough. But either way, the Avatar 2 trailer in IMAX 3D is breathtaking and it, it has increased my hype that was already high to what for Avatar 2 tenfold I am very excited and i think it's going to break the box office records i think it's going to break well, i don't know if it's going to break the box office records but it's going to break the box office definitely it's going to blow people away it's going to bring back 3d we're going to have a resurgence of 3d i think because nobody does it like james cameron what did you think of the avatar 2 sequel you didn't get to see it in imax 3d which is a massive l for you because it is not yeah well i mean IMAX it's a 3D. trailer i mean what what can i i mean I'm, do you remember the like the the thing that like i can't remember what film it was but Whatever film dropped like this in in like nineteen ninety nine, like a million people re- refunded their oh, tickets yeah, it was immediately after of, uh, seeing the Phantom Menace trailer. Phantom Menace, that's it. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't care that much. I, it, it does look nice, but it was it's a little bit like uh, Thor: Love and Thunder in the way that it's like it doesn't really show the film from a narrative perspective. It's not selling the film, but it's just kind of selling the the idea of it and the graphics and such. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks wonderful. It looks wonderful. You know, that that's what you can say, regardless. Avatar kind of can't disappoint me in a way. Well, I, I have really high hopes for it in a general sense, so it can. But like Avatar will definitely deliver a product. You know, I, I hate oh, to yeah. think about films so uh, capitalistically, but it will develop. It will provide us a product that we will be visually wowed. And oh yeah, this is confirming that they've not forgotten how to animate uh, in the last uh, twelve years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm very hyped for, for Avatar 2. I'm very hyped for the fact that we talked about last week about how they're doing uh, individual stories. I think that's made me a lot more excited, actually, mm. that I think that it's interesting to be seeing different little elements of Pandora. And I do think, and I, I've said this to a lot of friends, I think I might have said in the podcast before, but I think that in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, people will be talking to us, you know, our kids or whatever, will be talking to us. Well, I don't imagine you'll ever have kids, but um, <laughs> my kids will be uh, talking to me or whatever about... Um, how how um how we talk about star wars about avatar i think i yeah. think it will be one of the great franchises in marvel and such in jurassic park yeah i, I agree talking about avatar in the same sentences as those yeah i agree and also you're saying that like undeniably they're going to deliver a product it reminds me i was speaking to um to jl about it when because we a few of us went to see 
Doctor Strange 2 together. And afterwards we were all talking about it. And um, I was talking about how amazing the first Avatar is. And I was like, this is an, it's an unbelievable achievement. And then someone, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Peter said, or maybe it was Jake, but someone said, um, so is Avatar in like your top 10 then? And I was like, oh no, nowhere near. I don't love it that much. It's just from a technological standpoint, it is a cinematic achievement. Like without Avatar, we wouldn't have Thanos. We wouldn't have anything that we've had over the past 10 years. It's like a decade ahead of its time. And Avatar 2 is going to be the same. It's going to deliver, regardless of what you think of it as like a a story from a storytelling perspective, from a technological perspective, from an achievement perspective, it will be like nothing we've ever seen before it will blow everyone away and i think that trailer proves it i mean it's it's like nothing it's it's, it's that that trailer is like nothing i've ever seen before on a cinema screen it was just breathtaking so it is yeah, going to deliver yeah. it's going to deliver on on one level it's guaranteed to deliver on just the um spectacle it's going to be a spectacle i don't think anyone is going to be able to deny that avatar 2 is going to be an unbelievable spectacle. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I'm very hyped. Okay. And also, I just want to add on quickly to the end of that. Um, when the Avatar 2 trailer came on and the first kind of clip from it started, because the first thing you see is the 20th Century Studios logo. The first clip that you saw when it was in 3D of the Avatars, the Navi running along the vines and Pandora or whatever it is, um, there were so many audible gasps in the cinema of people just being taken away by how unbelievable it looked. I don't know if that happened in yours, but it happened in mine. A lot of just like wows going throughout the screen. Moving on to our main event of the evening, we're talking about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse Madness, the new Marvel film starring Benedict Cumberbatch as the titular Doctor Strange, based on the comic book character of the same name. Uh, it stars uh, a large number of, of cast members, but we can only tell you about a few of them. The ones we can tell you about include Elizabeth Olsen, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Benedict Wong, I believe it's pronounced Sochi Gomez, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, Rachel McAdams, uh, and others. Uh, and is directed by the wonderful Sam Raimi, famous for directing the Evil Dead films, uh, Darkman, and of course, in the world of comic books, well, Darkman kind of is in comics, but in, in Marvel comics, uh, the Spider-Man trilogy uh, starring Tobey Maguire. So this film has been in, in development since uh, the original Strange Game in 2016, um, but has been ramped up uh, and uh, since... It's been kind of discussed a lot since Raimi got given the job in 2020. Uh, and the plot of the film uh, kind of revolves around... Now, I can't say too much without spoilers. We are going to do a spoiler section. I imagine we'll be far longer than our non-spoiler section for this episode. Um, but the the plot revolves around Dr. Stephen Strange, um, the same main character, after dealing... After attending the, the wedding of... Um, his kind of former love interest for the first film, uh, Christine, uh, a large beast comes through a hole between universes uh, and he meets up with uh, a, a woman named America Chavez, uh, who, who tells her that she, who tells him that he, she can travel between universes, uh, multi, uh, different universes, the multiverse. Um, and this is a, a, you know, a rather important, task that threatens the state of the universe so he enlists the help 
of Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff or Scarlet Witch to try and help him uh, save the world and return America Chavez back to her original reality. Now, uh, I really kind of have to give you a very vague description of the film. I have to go very vague into what happens because... Much like all Marvel films, this is uh, people obsessed about spoilers and which characters appear and which characters don't and what happens and what doesn't. And uh, a lot of this film, you know, you'd be giving away a lot of the twists and turns if you talked about anything past kind of early on in the film. But, you know, it does contain a number of Marvel-esque cameos that, you know, of course, is going to be in vogue following No Way Home and, and the cameos that happened in that. Um, but... Without talking about any specific events, without any specific spoilers, um, what did you think of, Do- of Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? This is uh, kind of much like No Way Home. This is difficult to talk about without spoilers, um, but we'll do it. And uh, I imagine it's not going to be very long, but we'll do it anyway. Um, I am very conflicted with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think I'm very happy that Sam Raimi is on this because I really think if Sa- if it weren't Sam Raimi, this would be not very good. I think he, Sam Raimi does his best to put his flair onto it and kind of Sam Raimi-fy it. And he does in moments, but then there are several things about this film that even I don't think Sam Raimi could save with his directorial flair uh, and ambition. I think it has quite a weak script. I think the script is very dull and just kind of you know beating around the bush with a lot of things i think its handling of wonder isn't great um i think yeah the script is probably the weakest part it has some janky cgi um the cinematography is more interesting than most marvel films which i think is down even though he's not the cinematographer i think he's down to sam raimi uh kind of being able you know he's sam raimi he has a big reputation in the comic book world for spider-man I think they gave him a little bit more freedom to kind of say to the cinematographer, let's just do whatever we want. And there are a few moments where it kind of, he pops off a little bit and does some crazy stuff, uh, which I really liked. It's very cheesy and over the top at times, but in a very Sam Raimi way, which I liked. Um, but I, I really think that it, <laughs> I really can't talk about my main issue with this without talking about spoilers. Um but yeah, there are several things that I have big issues with that we'll get into when we do the spoiler section. Um, but overall, I just don't think that Marvel know what they're doing. Uh, well, we know that Marvel don't know what they're doing because Kevin Feige has only just gone on this creative retreat to plan the next phase of Marvel. So they don't know what they're doing yet. And I think the vibe I get from WandaVision and Loki and No Way Home and this is that they're just throwing loads of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um you know, the multiverse of madness wasn't that mad. You know, there was actually quite a lot of control over it. It was very controlled. It was slightly perturbed at times, but it was mostly just quite under control, mostly. I think the multiverse of madness kind of made everyone think and made me think that this is going to be an insane acid trip of a film delving into the multiverse. We're going to be in universes where nothing is the same where everything is changed um and that's not what happens i mean it's a very kind of small scale story in a way about family and about happiness and about emotions and and personal issues that doctor strange has and that um wanda has and that america chavez has as well um which is great 
but it's not really what I wanted from a big multiverse film that was marketed as, you know, the multiverse of madness. It wasn't really the multiverse of madness. I mean, yes, they go in the multiverse, but it wasn't very mad. It was just the multiverse. Um, so yeah, I feel like they're just kind of throwing as much as they can at the wall, seeing what sticks and whatever does stick, that's what they're going to run with. And I feel like this couldn't this couldn't be saved by Sam Raimi. There are some moments where this really is promising. There are a few moments, especially in the fight scenes, the way that the fight scenes are directed and shot and, and choreographed as well, are really creative. I mean, Doctor Strange 1 had some incredibly creative uh, sequences in it. And the fighting that Doctor Strange did in Infinity War with Thanos was the most creative we've seen in the MCU. And some of that is brought into this. But then there are, you know, a lot of just things that we've seen before. Um, so yeah, I didn't love Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but I didn't hate it. I I feel kind of very lukewarm about it. I enjoyed it at the time, but the more that I think about it, the less that I enjoy it. And the main reason for that is something we'll talk about when we get into spoilers. So I'll hand over to you and say, what is your spoiler-free reaction to Doctor Strange and I'm very intrigued to hear what it is. What do you think I thought? What do you think I thought? It's very bizarre because for the first every time we review a film I, I always watch it and I think I reckon Sam will like that or I don't reckon Sam will like that. I have no clue here. I have absolutely no clue. You could really? if you turned around and said this is the best thing I've ever seen, ten out of ten, I'd be like, oh okay. And if you said this is the worst thing, this is the worst Marvel film, I hated all of it, I'd be like, oh okay, that's okay, that's not a surprise. I genuinely have no clue. I'm very very intrigued. Yeah, I um, because if I had to sum up my feelings on, in one sorry, word, to sorry to on, interrupt you, huh? sorry to interrupt you just before you start, but this is kind of a nice segue into yours. If I had to sum up my feelings in one word, it'd be lukewarm. So. Mm. How do you feel? Um, about it? So obviously, oh, oh, <laughs> weird way to start a review. Obviously, you know, I've I, I've watched a lot of the films of the New French Extremity. Um, <laughs> this is not where I thought the review would start. I've watched a lot of films of the New French Extremity in the cinema uh, over the last week, and uh, a lot of them, I think, all but one, were introduced by someone. Um, Sophie Max Kaufman, Anna Bogoskaya, Catherine Wheatley, all these people that are kind of experts on, on different areas of film. Yeah. And, and a lot of these people, a lot of, especially um, the, in, the one for Trouble Every Day was kind of a, a love story. It was, it was telling, it was saying, she was saying why she loved this film and why she felt connections to the characters. And, and I came into the film with the, with the background of what the film was going to vaguely be about um, and why it's so good. These are the reasons why you should like it. And I liked all those things. And I thought I came out and I, I watched a few more films in cinema and I thought to myself, is that not, is that fair that I have this kind of bias? Like, is this, is this the real film experience? And I came to a conclusion that actually no, because I think film is itself a biased art. Every film we watch is based on what we have as our, you know, the films we've seen before, the emotions that we are in today, the weather, everything. Film itself is biased and the recommendations of who that told you to watch this. If you find that, the, you know, somebody that you absolutely hate like, loves this film, it puts you off it. If it stars an actor that you don't like, it puts you off. Film is a biased art. And in that vein, since I was a child, I've had a obsession or a, a real enjoyment, a love for the alternate universe, uh, 
you know, I, I my favourite episode of Doctor Who, which we keep talking about today, is is the Rise of Cybermen and Age of Steel, which involves them going to a, a slightly different version of Earth, a parallel version of Earth, uh, and other veins. Episodes like Amy's Choice, which I also love, involve those those kind of subjects. Um, and I've always really loved the idea of something of normal life, but a little different. And I think that's why I was kind of quite all in on the on multiverse of madness before. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, alongside for the fact that I grew up with the works of, of Sam Raimi, I was a, a massive Spider-Man fan. That's one of the reasons why I love No Way Home so much. Um, and I talked about loving all the Spider-Man films and I talked about rewatching them recently. So I come into this, with a great level of bias. And I, I absolutely loved Doctor Strange and the Marvelous Ooh, Madness. Wow. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was truly wonderful. I understand, however, that maybe due to bias, this film <laughs> provided me with the things that I wanted in a style that I had grown up loving. Mm. I felt like, okay, there are times where this does feel slightly generic. There are times where you do think... Where is the where is the Raimi here? But for every moment you have of that, I think there are ten moments where he puts his creative stamp on it. I think, um, I think that I would, you know, I, I I said, you know, if I had seen Eternals without hearing about it, I would not have. A, if I had a thousand guesses, I would never guess Chloe Zhao. If I had five, if I had three, I'd realize this was Sam Raimi. I think. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from his comedic timing, but I think a lot of it comes from, you know, the extent that he walks into the bazaar. Uh, you know, he, he never goes, you know, you know, complete acid trip. But I think this, the, the, the way that he plays with the world, I, I, far, I, I thought that, uh, you know, this felt quite rainy to me. Uh, I thought that the decisions made around the central um, monster were very interesting. Uh I, I really enjoyed them. I think that to, to, to you know the, the way that character was played with was really really fun. Um, I think that the um, close to reality but not justness of some of the, the well the two kind of bigger one worlds they visit really fascinated me. And I think um, kind of the one where a lot of the film is set at eight three eight, I thought was really really interesting. And some of those scenes um, were, were wonderful. Um, I don't want to give a spoiler away, but uh, and I could literally could give it a second, but it won't spoil it for people that don't know. But there is one scene in this film that I was point almost like kind of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. I was shaking. I could. I was. I was like, oh, oh. I was so happy uh, <laughs> about one scene. Uh, and to describe it, if you you know without giving spoilers, uh, 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 the pizza popper, the pizza popper. Uh, for <laughs> I me, I, like I could not contain. Well, you don't know. But, but yeah, I get normal people, they won't we'll know, but the pizza anyway. popper. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's a spoiler. How is that a spoiler? Well, no, I'm saying it's not a spoiler. I'm saying you could say more than just that. Oh, well, I can't say who, what it's about, because then that would ruin the surprise. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Because that, for me, was one... I was... I was, yeah. I, I was, I was like, whoa, that is a great I was so moment. happy. Great moment. Um, I, think I wish that, yeah, there was more of the, that. You know, it does a lot of the normal Marvel stuff. It has a Danny Elfman did the music. It's done a lot of Marvel music. It had a few elements where they had to link it into the, the narrative that I, you know, were a little bit just kind of typical. And I always think that I kind of, I think that it, it could have taken a couple more steps into the bizarre. I would have liked a little bit more, some some world hopping that would have made it a little bit more interesting for me. Um, but in general, you know, this is really stylistically and narratively 
just up my alley. I, I just thought it was wonderful. And I think there is an important art to comic book acting. It's very different to, you know, I don't know what to say to, well, I guess comedy acting is very different to, to narrative, to drama Dramatic acting, acting and drama yeah. acting is very different to action acting and action acting itself is different to superhero acting. But when it comes to, to superhero acting, I think, uh, Elizabeth Olsen is one of the best. I think she's yeah. wonderful here. Uh, I think she's wonderful in WandaVision as well. I think she's wonderful here. Mm-hmm. I think so is Benedict Wong, uh, who plays Wong, who, who's a wonderful comedic time, but also, you know, quite a, you know, a very important character in this film. Yeah, more I think than as ever. well, talking about accents, American accents, English accents, Oscar Isaac, Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent has got a lot better. I mean, it's almost unbearable <laughs> in the first film, but by here, he's improved a lot. Yeah. Uh, he's also pretty damn good uh, acting wise, but I don't think that needs to be said as much. Of course, Oscar nominated and such, but yeah, wonderful. Uh, funny acting. And I think that as well, you say about the cinematography being down to, to, to just down to Raimi. I mean, I, I disagree to a degree because I, I, I think that John Matheson's a great cinematographer personally. Oh yeah, that's, that's that not what I meant. I, I just meant... Yeah, I think, I think that the cinematography for Logan uh, was, was wonderful. I think the cinematography for oh, yeah. X-Men First Class was wonderful. Oh, that's not um, what I meant. I just meant I think that the cinematographer was allowed to do what he wanted to do because Sam Raimi has the, the, the clout to basically Kevin Feige is not going to tell Sam Raimi what to do because he's Sam Raimi. So Sam Raimi could just say to the cinematographer, yeah, we can go nuts on this or do whatever you want. So yeah, I'm not saying the cinematographer yeah, I mean, is I, only I just, good because... I, I mean, people call it messy. I don't I, I don't necessarily... Agree. I see what people mean, but I quite enjoyed the fast pace in the same vein that I did in, in Venom 2. You know, that film was shit, but I liked the pacing. <laughs> um, I thought I liked to get straight into the action. I think that it was nice to, to, to be thrown in there. Um... But I, so I didn't really have that issue, uh, and, and I think it's a it's, it's a lot of matter of taste. But I, I, I the, just the right amount of humour that that Raimi brings and that he does. Obviously, this is not as funny as, as Spider Man, but you know it still has a lot of funny moments. Uh, I think that that he he does really care for the characters. Um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of conversation that he didn't see WandaVision. I don't think that matters. I think he has a lot of care for for Wanda. He has a lot of care for Doctor Strange. Just you know, even if he just knows very vaguely, but he has written a very emotionally involved and developed version of these characters. Or, or he didn't write it, but you know, he's directed. Sorry, yeah. Um, a very he cares a lot for their individual personalities. I think. Um, oh, we are interested to the, the spoilers, but that that's my my thoughts. So. Yeah, I didn't uh, really. Is there anything I just want to add before we go into spoilers? Yeah, I didn't really mention the acting, um, but yeah, Elizabeth Olsen is the 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 MVP. She's the goat of this film. She's fantastic uh, as Wanda, as she was in Wonder Vision. Um, so yeah, her performance, everyone's performance, the acting is is pretty great all round, apart from a few things that we're about to get into. I imagine. Okay, so um, that are my thoughts. Um... Well, if you want to hear what our ratings are, either watch the film and then listen to the spoiler section, or I might remember to put it right in the description. Actually, do you want do you want to do ratings in Man of the Match now, or do you want to wait until after? I want to wait until after. Okay, so we're doing spoilers now. Spoiler, spoiler warning. warning. Spoiler warning. Spoiler Five, warning. Five, four, three, two, one. Eric Banner's in it. <laughs> Eric Banner is not in it. My, Dr. Michael Morbius is in it. Dr. Michael Morbius morbs out on the big screen. Um, Reed Richards is in it, though. Yeah. Well, John Krasinski's um, Reed Richards. Yes, that's the greatest issue with the film. So, um, there's a lot of, of cameos. Bruce Campbell, of course, I was talking about. That was the one that I was the happiest yeah, about. That's the great. That's the best um, bit, Bruce Campbell scene. 
it's great to see him, and I think the post-credit scene is wonderful. Yeah, I agree. Um, a lot. I think it's almost uh, kind of the the Matrix Resurrections has a, a kind of uh, a big middle finger up to post-credit scenes. It parodies post-credit scenes mm-hmm. uh, in a way that stars Doctor Who actress uh, Free Management. So back to Doctor Who again. Oh, right. um, but uh, it, it's a parody of post-credit scenes. It's quite you know like uh, say Meta on the nose or whatever in the style of that film. Uh, I think it's almost the same from Raimi. I think he kind of wanted to say, oh you know, ha ha, you sat through the whole credits. So I'm just going to make you watch Bruce Campbell punch yourself a couple of times. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was great to have him in there. But there's an awful lot of, well, it's actually not that many, but there's a decent number of cameos. It would be a normal amount of cameos if we didn't expect loads. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it includes, uh, the, the cameos include, of course, the big one, Patrick Stewart, uh, Hayley Atwell, who came, uh, well, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, Hayley Atwell comes back as, as Captain Carter, LaShawn Lynch, which I thought was a really interesting, really nice one to have, uh, mm-hmm. playing a different version of Captain Marvel from her character Maria Rambo from Captain Marvel, but as actually the Captain herself. Uh, Anson Mount, uh, who played Black Bolt in the critically panned series <laughs> of humans. Um, some bizarre ones to bring uh, back. <laughs> yes, but he is part of the Illuminati, so it does make sense. Um, okay. And John Krasinski as Reed Richards, which is a big deal because it confirm essentially confirms his casting. I'll be surprised now if they don't use him as the main one in the MCU. Uh, full stop. These are all people that uh, all of these cameos are linked by being members of the Illuminati in an alternate universe. Um. So in that alternate universe, how? What did you think of of Earth eight three eight? Did you did you think that we spent too much time there? You'd like to hop around, or did you enjoy having a, a look at that kind of futuristic version of New York with you know the the new superheroes to boot? Because I personally, I thought that was one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, well, I quickly just want to say about you saying it essentially confirms John Krasinski's casting, and I think it maybe does, but I also think this is kind of what I was talking about with Marvel just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. I think they've just thrown him in there to see how people react. If it's positive, they'll cast him. If it's not, they won't. Um, so well, I still I think, think that's, it's that's a very naive statement because he has been the number one fan cast for eight years now. And you know, everybody knows that everybody, well, he's the bike a distance the most popular candidate so yeah they can tell that people want him i don't think it that this will change anything well i think it will because i think they've put this in as a test to see like you know everyone said they want it let's give it to them and see how everyone react actually reacts to it after seeing it and i have to say um speaking i just want to speak about that segment about the cameo segment as you know from the moment dr strange walks into that room with all those people on the bench to the scene when um they all die spoilers um that is the worst thing i've ever seen i absolutely hated that segment it was awful i genuinely this film would be so much better if they just cut that entire bit out i think it was dreadful the you could tell that none of those actors were in the same room john krasinski has never met benedict Cumberbatch. john krasinski was on a green screen somewhere about six months after this scene and the eye lines didn't meet up it was dreadfully lit it was awfully shot they weren't looking at each other it was one of the worst things i've ever seen john krasinski's performance is dreadful i think that's partly due to the writing um because john krasinski obviously is a fantastic actor so i'm not going to blame him entirely well i think he is yeah is he i think he is so i'm going to say i think i think he's a great actor um, so I think it's mostly the writing to blame for his dreadful performance. Um, Patrick Stewart is very much just phoning it in. 
Hayley Atwell's actually really good. She was my favourite cameo of them all. I think I very much like Captain Carter in What If. I hope she tears up again because I think she's I think she's great. Lashana Lynch was pretty good as well. Black Bolt didn't do anything. It wasn't worth it. They should have just cut it out. It was awful. I hated every second of it. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't disagree more. I could never, I did not tell any of the the technical things. I didn't think it was badly lit at all. I thought it looked good. Uh, I don't think any of them were re- really reining it in. I thought Patrick Stewart was actually really good in this scene, especially when he walks into her mind. I thought that was really well done. Uh, I think it was really interesting seeing them all back together. Uh, I think John Krasinski is, is a kind of mediocre actor, and I don't like that he's been Mr. Fantastic, but I don't think he had, I don't think he had any problem with his performance. And I thought it was probably one of the most interesting, one of the most uh, kind of... I, I say I love the what-if, even though what-if itself obviously was disappointing. I love the what-if element of it, and I think seeing all those different versions and stuff I thought that was wonderful um, I would have liked it in concept it, but... I just didn't like Sorry? I, I liked it in concept I just thought the execution was awful the fight scene was, I mean, I was dreadful the dialogue was, it was, was bad at all I think that the, 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 again this, this is kind of a poor review because we're just you know just saying to people that have seen it because we're not kind of describing what happens but after she meets all these these people after Benny Cumberbatch meets all these different versions of kind of what if this character did this and what if that character did that you know, what if, you know, Brie Larson's best mate got became Captain Marvel instead of her? What if, you know, Captain Carter, what if Peggy yeah. Carter became Captain America instead of Captain America? After she, he meets all of these, a big, you know, he's warning them about the, the, the true bad guy who's Wanda. We haven't mentioned that yet, but she's the true bad guy of the film. Yeah. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, after finding out the true bad guy is Wanda, uh, they kind of underestimate her. And then... She breaks in, and a major fight scene happens now, which is one of the most brutal. Even though the film itself is is fairly, you know, um, clean, fairly kid friendly, that one scene is one of the most brutal in Marvel, and I think uh, kind of replicates a lot of the kind of comic series of like Deadpool kills the Marvel universe or House of M or whatever. When there is these kind of mass killings, um, we see Black Bolt's kind of brain kind of explode. He, rips his mouth off makes his brains explode and she uh rips apart all the string like you know pulls out all the stringiness of uh, mr fantastic and all that stuff and 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 snaps patrick stewart's neck um i, I mean I, I don't know you thought like that you just said that you included that but i thought that was it was wonderfully kind of uh it was it, it really woke me up out of you know the marvel days of everything being similar i think it was really cool to see a moment of of kind of real brutality no, I I hated that as well. I think the the way that she killed Blackport was relatively cool, um, but yeah, it just happened. And the way she killed Reed Richards was laughably bad. I think it. I mean, no, no, that's th- a that's a classic thing. It was oh, awful. Really, it no, looked awful. Good. The CGI was awful. John Krasinski's screaming was awful. The little conversation that they had, Elizabeth Olsen just acted circles around everyone. Everyone else was phoning it in. It was awful. I re- I actually really enjoyed the fight with Captain Carter. The fight that she had with Captain I Carter. I don't know. So one thing. I enjoyed that. Tiny thing. Why do they keep calling her Captain Carter? That was really weird, I thought. Well, that's her name. She, why would they? She's not Captain They never America. call him Captain... They don't call him Captain... They don't call him Captain Rogers. They call him Captain America or, or well, Yeah, but Steve. she's not America. Why? And Captain Britain's a different her, character. She's called Captain Britain. That's her character's name. So why aren't they calling her Captain Isn't Britain? Isn't Captain Britain someone else? No, no, no. She's like in all, she's one of the Captain Britons. All right. I mean, well, she's that... Captain. She's she has a, a British flag on her thing. Well, yeah, but I just Are feel you, like Jack? I don't know. But they've called her Captain. Carter, that was really I think weird. Sounds I thought, cool. Very strange decision. I thought. What? I thought it was really weird. That they kept calling her Captain Carter. When I was in the cinema, I was like, 
The fuck? What, why? It's not like Captain America exists. Well, they did call uh, him Captain Rogers several times. Do they? Yeah, they often call him Captain Rogers. I thought he was called Captain America always. Well, he is called Captain America, but they they call him Captain Rogers a lot as well. Oh, I just thought it was really. I thought it was a very strange decision. I was kind of oh, I, I was very I didn't surprised. Even think I was very weirded that. out by that person. I know it's a small thing, but yeah. I just thought like that just seems strange. Well, fair enough. I didn't even notice that, but I thought her. She was my favorite. I think her little fight that she had with Wanda was great. I thought the shot that when she was killed by Wanda, I thought that was awful as well. The kind of it focused in on her face. It looked really bad. Um, but the actual fight that they had was great. Um, and I thought Lashana Lynch, the fight that um, Captain Marvel and uh, Wanda had together, I thought that was great as well. Um, but all the others were just awful and it just wasn't worth it. I wish they'd have just cut it or replaced it. And going back to your, your original question about what did I think of Earth 838, um, I would have preferred if we spent this like 20 minutes of just cameo shit, if we'd have spent that in a different universe or two different universes. Um, I think that kind of segment where they're first traveling through the multiverse and they're in a lot of different worlds, I was like, all of these are more interesting than where they end up. C- send us into one of those for five minutes. That'd be better than watching John Krasinski on a green screen, not looking at Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, but they didn't do that. And I was, you know, to me, the multiverse of madness would be a far, far better film if they just cut out this Illuminati story and replaced it with some more multiverse hopping, I think that'd be great. And I think that'd be madder as well. Yeah. I, so, I just, uh, I hated me, the cameos. That, that was, that, I hated it. That was the highlight of the film for me. Um, that was, that, 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 was that, bit... that cameo segment is one of the worst things I've ever seen in a superhero film. I genuinely hated it. Up there with my dislike of Venom and I hated Venom. I think it's the most dull, boring thing ever. This is up there. I genuinely loathed it. It's the weakest thing I've seen the MCU do. It had its a few moments where Sam Raimi kind of did it. Like I loved the fight between Mordo and Doctor Strange. That was great. That was shot excellently. And I think it was really interestingly choreographed as well. That was great. But the Wanda versus the other thing, that was just awful. I mean, what what was the point? It was just dreadful. See, I think that I don't think that the film works without it personally. I think that, that that's. I kind think of the, the film works the film far better without it. Yeah, see, uh, for me, I think that was the because obviously the Bruce Campbell scene is the, the actual individual kind of small highlight, but I think the whole film revolves around that that scene personally. I, I think that that um, it's you know a bit like No Way Home that of course it is cameos and of course that is you know very easy to do. It's easy to to get people to for attachment to their to other characters, but. I thought the way they did it, you know, with most of these characters not having attachment, we didn't, we don't have an attachment to John Krasinski, which is fantastic. We don't have an attachment to Lashana Lynch as Captain Marvel. We don't have an attachment to to Hayley, Hayley Wells as Captain Carter outside of one episode. And yeah. not many people like Black Bolt. And that does remind so, me, however, I, I do have something to brag about from a while ago. When the first teaser for Doctor Strange 2 came out and Patrick Stewart's voice was in it, I think it was on the podcast, so it may be recorded, but in a conversation that we had... I said, I bet this isn't Professor X from the X-Men films from 2000. I bet it's Professor X from the 90s X-Men comic, from the 90s X-Men cartoon. And that's why they're bringing back the 90s X-Men cartoon. And I was right. It is the 90s comic, the 90s cartoon Professor X. And it's not the, uh, it's not the uh, Fox X-Men Professor X. I'm proud that I called that. Yeah. Nobody else cares. Fair play. But I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I'd say I guess we'll disagree on that because for me, I, I loved it. Um, yeah, 
I mean, I, I I think that some of the whilst I like the emotional nature of the story, I, I think that the a lot of the stuff with um, Wanda's kids, you know, I, I really struggle with. Um, but I, I think, think that was. I think that was my favorite part. I went into the film and I've said this a few times to you. I went into it and I I hated this about myself, only being excited for the cameos. Like I've got Marvel burnout. I'm only excited to see the people that I recognize. And I came out of the film thinking, I wish there were no cameos because everything else was better. See, I felt the same same kind of way. I was like, I came out and saying, thank God they didn't stuff it. Because for me, there's one... There's one unnecessary cameo in the whole film, which is Bruce Campbell, who's wonderful. <laughs> and all the rest of them had felt like they had serious plot implications that I thought were very interesting. Um, on a comic book level, um, I, as a comic book fan, I, I appreciated that they didn't have Captain Marvel beat her. Oh, oh sorry. I, I appreciate they didn't have Wanda beat Captain Marvel because I, I, I was like quite worried that they were going to do that. And I was like, that's not fair because Captain Marvel is as strong as Wanda but they had them equal each other and that she just happened to fall underneath something that was very large that, that could easily just kill her. So it's, well, it's I think not that counts like she got beating Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't a, she wasn't shown as more powerful, which oh, is I guess so. you know, an important thing. Yeah, I, exactly. I think you know they matched each other and it was an unlucky coincidence, really. Um, it also, from a comic level, I think this is apparent that this they, they were planning, to, I think they were planning to do this before the passing of Chadwick Boseman. If they weren't planning to do this before the passing of Chadwick Boseman, then... Um, then they would have changed it midway through because it would be very strange to have any um, Illuminati lineup without Black Panther in it. You know, he's often involved in those those discussions and those groups. I think it's, it's clear that they didn't want to be shown as insensitive and kind of already seem to like recast Black Panther. So I think that was a decision, perhaps why they said brought Black, Black Bolt in to have another character in there. Um, that's just my comic book feelings. From a comic book for, from a comic book fan opinion as well, it's not that strange to see Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff kind of um, go mental, you know, because she yeah. she does do it a few times in the in the comics as well. Um, maybe you know the MCU version of of Wanda. I would not have imagined her to go off the rails to this extent, but she she goes the multiverse of madness follows her. She goes absolutely hog wild here. She really goes off the ropes. Um, yeah. to try and pres- preserve her family. What do you think of the, the inclusion of Wanda not only as uh, an anti-hero, but as the number one main villain of the film and a murderer? I actually, I, I, I liked most of it. Um, I didn't like her kind of logic with, I'll just go kill another me and then live with my kids. That kind of contradicted what she learned in WandaVision. Um, but I think other than that, I loved Wanda in this film. I think she is incredible. One of the, probably the best MCU villain we've had because she's had so much um, development. Um, Seeing her kill people and just go insane was amazing. Um, Her fight scenes were great. I think I would have loved to have seen her killing more of the Ultron bots, which was kind of obscured by smoke. And we saw it through like CCTV footage, I thought the few bits that we did see of that looked really cool. I would have loved more of that and less of her shredding John Krasinski. Um, and I loved the scene with her and America Chavez at the end when uh, America Chavez like opens up the portal to another dimension and Wanda kind of terrifies her kids, uh, a different her, a different universe's version of her kids. She kind of terrifies them. Um, I loved that scene. That was 
unbelievably mm, well acted yeah. by Elizabeth Olsen. That was fantastic. I would have preferred mm. it if the kids saw her be a bit more brutal. Like if they saw, like if America Chavez opened up the portal and then Wanda kind of beat her up a bit and kind of went angry at America and then noticed instead of just like looking like a witch, they seemed to be scared that she looked like a witch. Um, and I think it would have been better if they got scared of her behavior as well, if they saw her be brutal. I don't, I didn't interpret that. I don't think that that's the reason why. I think it's because she's like, because she was like evil. She's like, oh, but where she was like, oh, the witch is here. Like, almost like it's like she, the way they treated it was almost like it was a fairy tale. Like, there was this kind of known thing that this is where her mum could end up. You know what I mean? Like, I think he was like, oh no, the, the witch is here. Like, it's a, this mythical being. Yeah, know? that's true. It was like a witch is here. Or like, oh, I think he's like, oh, you know, something almost like something that keeps him up at night. I thought that was, that's why how I, I thought of it. Well, that, that, that could be, that's a valid thing that kind of makes more sense. But I still think it would have been better if they saw her being a bit more brutal with America, saw her doing a bit of fighting rather than just being scared of her because of who she is, rather than, you know, I think it would have been better if they, like, saw her be evil. Um, but other than, like, that's a tiny complaint because the scene is still fantastic when she snaps at them um, and they kind of cower behind the stairs. That's fantastic. And then the scene that Elizabeth Olsen shares with herself um, when Wanda's kneeling in front of the other Wanda is just beautiful. That That's peak Marvel. That's amazing. Uh, and Elizabeth Olsen carries those scenes with perfection. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And um, I, I loved how Wanda was characterized for the most part, apart from her plan to go and murder an alternative version of herself and kind of live with her kids. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't, that seems fairly typical sci-fi. I feel like that's a, quite a trope, right? Well, it is, um, but the fact that they had the, there were ten episodes of One Division where she, like, had some development, and I get that the Darkhold was corrupting her, but the Darkhold was corrupting her in One Division as well because of Agatha, and especially at the end of One Division, and I just feel like it was a bit weird to take it in that direction where she's not bothered about hurting herself in like all the versions of herself and like just taking her kids. I thought that was weird, but um. But it's not like a huge hang-up that I have because otherwise her characterization was on point and Elizabeth Olsen was yeah. just the best. And America yeah, as well I, uh... is a great introduction. We haven't really spoken about America Chavez. A great new character. I thought she was really interesting, compelling, and charismatic. Yeah. And I can't wait to see it. I thought her, her powers as well looked brilliant. Um, like from a visual standpoint, they were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree uh, with most of the things you said about Wanda. Um, I think, you know, again, some of her logic uh, did seem strange at times, not necessarily the fact that she killed an alternative version of because I don't think that's that weird, because I, I wouldn't be able to, if I could, if I got an, a, a teleport, I wouldn't care. I would feel bad about killing an alternate version of anyone else except for myself, because I'm like, it's kind of me, so I wouldn't really be that bothered. Um so I don't read for that bit. I think some of the way that she her logic around her kids sometimes seemed a bit strange, um, but ultimately I think it's just supposed to be you know it's obviously a, it's you know it's, it's an over dramatized version of a story. You know I think that that you know I I appreciate the family element of it in a way. I thought that yes, yeah, so acting wise she was wonderful, but I think yeah the choice to to make Wanda the ultimate out and out bad guy was a brave one, uh, an interesting one, um, but ultimately one that I really think really paid off, and I. I uh, I, I really liked it. And I, I imagine that she will be returning a lot. You know, they kind of showed her to be kind of dead. I don't think yeah, she will be dead. They I never kill anyone. Kind of the main... 
yeah, she's kind of the Marvel's main character right now. Yeah. Uh, along with Spider-Man. So I think it'd be strange to kill her. I guess Loki as well. But, um, you know, he's kind of up there. Um, I want to give a shout out to, to, to Connor, Connor Brown. Uh, Connor Moore, Connor Moore, Connor Moore. Don't know how it's pronounced uh, on Twitter. Uh, who's a friend friend of of the podcast? I'll call him a friend of the podcast. Who's a a film fan that, uh, that's very into Marvel that I follow. Who a couple of weeks ago, uh, or when the trailers came out for Doctor Strange, said, "Why is why does the Doctor Strange trailer have um uh like all the names at the top? It's got it says Benedict Cumberbatch, um you know uh Elizabeth Olsen did a lot uh and um." Michael Stuhlberg why has he got po- what he said, why has Michael Stuhlberg got poster credit he's going to be in one scene and I thought I bet now he's tweeted that I bet he's going to be quite a big character and fair play to Connor he is literally in one scene so um so I just wanted to get that off my chest and he gets a uh, yeah my biggest issue in the, the film is the kind of, the of film in the credits as well good for him yeah uh, my kind of issue is kind of similar to yours. One of my issues is kind of similar to one of your issues. My biggest issue is I loved being in that universe, in that 838 universe. I thought it was wonderful. I thought that the cameos were interesting. I thought it was really interesting to different the characters, different of, of um, New York. I just thought it was, it was wonderful. I love all that universe. I thought it was wonderful being there. Seeing the collapsed, destroyed universe that is kind of similar to that episode of What If, but isn't actually based on that episode of What If. Mm. Um I think that was really interesting as well. And the fact is that I enjoyed them so much that I wish there were more universes. And yeah. ultimately that's the thing is I just wish there was more. Uh, and I don't, I wouldn't like to cut anything. So I would maybe add some more running time on there. Um, yeah, it's only two I, hours. I enjoyed being there. Well, yeah, yeah. It's short for a Marvel film. Yeah. Um, but perhaps it needs space to do some of that in the future. But that one scene of them falling through universes, which a bit of it has been shown in the trailer is truly excellent it's so cool that little scene we get of, yeah. of them flying through the universe that was really really good um and yeah i would like I, some more universe hopping yeah and that's what Sorry? i meant like the, that scene was so cool and then they arrived in just like an alternate version of new york that was not i think like, ultimately while some of them seem cool on paper i think a lot of reality them in reality they're so stylized or so thing that I don't know how much it would kind of make for interesting plot. I think going to a, a ultra modern kind of super clean, like, you know, utopian version of New York is one of the places that I'd be most interested in getting in. You know, I think that actually gives us the most, you know, plot, you know, going to like a world made, you know, the cartoon one, whilst it's interesting, you know, it's so out there that I don't know how much we could relate to it for the plot, how much it would you know matter really to the plot if it wasn't in kind of Space Jam style five minutes segments. I think you have to go to a world that, you know, has some bearing. Uh, I think going to like, what if New York was ultra futuristic, whilst is is perhaps cliche, does not lose any interest for me personally. So I didn't have a problem with it. I just felt um, like it was a little bit of wasted potential. I'd like to see some like multiversal TV shows or something, something where they get the time to kind of a bit more like like a, a kind of slightly more um, universally important what if kind of stuff. I'd be more, more interested on a, on a what if on a more planetary scale rather than not down to personal characters. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I mean, I was I was really really pleased by by Multiverse Madness. Really, to be honest, it was uh, it was one of the the, the it, for me, it's one of um, Marvel's best, um, and I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he said there's an element of bias, but I think every single film we've ever seen has an element of bias to it. Yeah, um, But it really ticked a lot of boxes for me. I, I thought that, so I think that the performance was great and I think it was great. But ultimately, I just love the, the alternate universe stuff and I thought that the characters that were introduced were really interesting. Uh, I really liked being able to spend that like 20-minute period with them. Uh, I really like what I did to what I did with Paulson. I think always, un- always underappreciated, always under-talked about, um, but Benedict Wong... As Wong, one of the best characters in Marvel. Yeah. Full stop. There's one Wonderful. thing as well that I forgot to say. I love that Wong's introduction, he gets like a big superhero introduction. The music, the camera turns, the music blares, he shows up and has a big action scene. It's a great moment. And Wong is is up there with Doctor Strange in terms of how cool he is in this film. Okay, can I give you... I'm going to give one last superhero, nerdy, comic booky fan thing. Go for it, because I've never read the comic book. So I, what, that, that's another thing as well. I've never read the comic books. So I didn't... I've never heard of the Illuminati, like, in context of Marvel. I've heard of it, obviously, in, in real life, in inverted commas. Um, so when they said, like, the Illuminati will see you now, was that, that... That was really funny. Like, it was really cheesy. And there are a few lines like that that are just really really cheesy like when uh wanda says dream walking you hypocrite it's just it's, and when uh christine's just leaves it and goes, go back to hell it's just it's just really cheesy i thought and the delivery I didn't was really cheesy dream walking you hypocrite didn't feel like a uh, uh it just felt like a normal it didn't feel like it was a a comedy line or an action line it just felt like a normal sentence right she, she's calling him a hypocrite because he's she got annoyed at him for yeah, but it just, oh, I'll tell you something. That's why we did one thing we didn't talk about. Zombie Doctor Strange was fucking sick. Yes, that was Zombie. So Do- cool. I will undeniably Zombie Doctor Strange wearing a cape of like was it like evil spirits or something? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. That and was everyone very thought rainy. Zombie Wonder was in the trailer. She wasn't. Not Zombie Wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's also not like everyone said. Mar- watch the Marvel Zombies episode. Of what if you don't need to? It's not. Yeah, related. it's not the same. Um, it's not the same Captain Carter either. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, but that kind of makes sense to watch that because it kind of is. It's not. It might not be the same universe, but it, I guess so. Yeah, same universe, no, but it could. It you know, it's, it's kind of explaining why there could be a Captain Carter. Whereas yeah, that true. Is completely different. Um, yeah, that was very Raimi, by the way. Very Raimi. That was uh, probably the most Raimi the film ever got was having the the um, zombie strange with the the spirits come out of it. Felt kind of very. Uh, and the camera work with those as well was very Raimi. Yes. Really interesting. I really like the editing decisions when it had a lot of the kind of uh, like wonder when it had like wonder doing stuff and it had like uh, yes. different um, things like superimposed over the like top. Fading, Very interesting. Yeah. I yeah. So my comic booky last thing to give uh, my comic booky uh, nerdy problem. I hate that they called the universe six one six. That is not the universe. Mysterio said it, but Mysterio is like you know was wrong in terms of the universe. In that, in you know, Mysterio just made stuff up in, in Far From Home, so it doesn't matter that he said it. But he, they call that the 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 main Marvel universe six one six. That isn't the main Marvel universe. That's the main Marvel comics universe. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is well, it can't be the exact same as comics because different things happen. So call it a different number. That is Maybe a they massively don't want to give nerdy it complaint. <laughs> It's it's actually called 
universe 1999999. Now, of course, that would be awkward for them to say. So they give it another number. Call it universe 615 or universe 1 or universe 502 or universe 221. Just don't call it 616. That's the only number you can't use because that doesn't make any sense. So well, I think it makes sense because the, the Marvel comics don't exist in this universe. So the MCU no. is a replacement for the comics. No, because they're both in the same multiverse. That is a uh, that is true. They they are both in the same multiverse, so therefore they can't have two different Earth six one six. That's the point of multiversal numbers. Well, who cares? So it doesn't make sense. They picked the wrong number. <laughs> and maybe that, that, they'll maybe they'll retcon it. Who knows? They won't. They won't. They're just too arrogant. Um, pizza popper baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Post-credit scenes. Um, the interesting to see the Charlie's Theron brought in, um, Wasn't and the big actor in Marvel uh, playing the character <laughs> Clear, which I'm not. I don't know anything about Clear, so I, 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 you know, I can't use my Marvel expertise here. Um, but I'm not. I, I don't know anything about the character. Um, but apparently, according to Wikipedia, she's some sort of sorceress. Um, and the love interest of Doctor Strange, yeah. apparently. That's what I discovered in my She's recently. the niece of Dormammu, apparently. Interesting. What did you think of that particular mid-credit scene? Um, well, I was interested to get her get her involved, Charlie's the Run, because she's obviously a wonderful actress. Yeah. So, um, you know, interesting. But, I mean, I was a little bit... It seemed a little bit confusing. Um, and I don't know. This, the... Whilst the you know I didn't have a problem with the the, the nature of of it necessarily just in general just happening, but I found the the eye CGI to be really really poor. Yeah, and having that reintroduced with him, I was like, oh god, do we have to have that eye stuff again? Yeah, but, um, yeah. I wasn't what a fan of the I wasn't a fan of the Charlie's Theron mid credit scene. I'm kind of sick of this trend that I'm seeing starting of just one of the post credit scenes is a big actor shows up and says hello and then that's it. Like it happened with Harry Styles and Eternals. It yeah, happened with, with Harry Styles. I went mental. I went in in the cinema. I was like, oh my! I'm, I mean, I was like, oh my god, Harry Styles. Like that was <laughs> that was it was met with laughter bigger. in both of my showings of Eternals. People laughed. I couldn't believe it because it's bigger. If they got in, if it was Leonardo DiCaprio, it wouldn't be as big a deal for me. If it was Will Smith or thing, because they're like they're actors. Like I know, like <laughs> Harry Styles has been in Dunkirk and he's going to be in Don't Worry, Don't Worry, Darling. But like he's not really an actor. I don't think he was an actor. So I was so not ready for him. Yeah, I could not believe it. I was. I think it's worth a great scene just for Harry Styles show up because it's Harry fucking Styles. I did not expect him to show up. That's <laughs> what you think of the guy. Um, it's almost like if they turned up and Billy Eilish was there with a fucking cape on. You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But, it was, Harry Styles you know, was I'm, with laughter. I, 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 go, I went more mental that I would if I saw Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> and, uh, now, you, you laugh at the idea of Daniel Day-Lewis, but to be fair, Ethan Hawke was in a Marvel thing, so that anything's is true. possible. That is true. But yeah, I'm not a fan of just these like big celebrities showing up in a funky costume and then leaving. Yeah. I'd rather than just do yeah, something. Yeah, no, I guess I get, I get what you mean. I mean, right now it doesn't matter anything to me because I don't really know what's going on. So maybe in the future I look back and say, oh, that was nice that that showed up. He, she showed up here. But to me now, this means very little and uh, pale in comparison to the, the other post credit scene. Um, yeah, the other post credit scene was incredible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this film isn't a horror film, by the way, people no, of the not. world. I, I don't know why people keep saying that. Neither do I. 
and this is coming this from is me. This is getting the Nightmare Alley treatment. I, I am the most timid person ever. I hate horror films so much so that I cannot watch them. It's not a horror film. I've seen people say, oh, this is a straight up horror film. Raimi went full horror. No, he didn't. No. There are a few scenes that have elements that are reminiscent of horror. This is not a horror film. And it's not gory either. There's no gore. No, I mean, it's, it's, I would describe it perhaps as surprisingly brutal. I wouldn't, though. I, didn't, know, I don't think even the scene that she you kills said, the a lot killing of scenes, were brutal. Well, they I weren't think the brutal. killing scene, like, the, the when she kills uh, Black Bolt, like, that is pretty brutal for Marvel. She, like, breaks his head. Like, she, like, blows his head up. I was like, even in the cinema, I was a little bit like, whoa. I think and it was Mr. more Fantastic brutal when one. Thanos got, when Thanos snapped Loki's neck. Yeah, I think Thanos saying no, he's next, definitely out there. Yeah, um, but Mr. But Fantastic was not brutal. That was funny. That was like camp. That was over the top No, I don't funny. think so. I thought that was brutal. It was like she turned him into like a cheese string and he was screaming and it looked awful. I thought that was funny. I thought that was brutal. I thought the CGI was very good. I thought, that was, then again, I just, I just hated that entire sequence. I genuinely, I, it was the most egregious thing I've ever seen. It was like, you enjoyed the cameos in No Way Home. We've got some more for you now. Yeah, stop harping on about it. I really hated that. I'm sorry. I, can't, I just, I hated yeah, them. But that's so not much. what we're talking about. We're talking about brutality. I know. I just, yeah, I know. It wasn't brutal though. I think, well, the, I think the fact is as well is it's wonder that, that I think that that makes it more brutal because this suppose, is a character yeah. we associate with good. And She's the, the fact hero. that she, especially when she came into um, their like palace place, yeah, and um, and just murdered everyone. Like, I think that it was pretty brutal for a good guy to do that. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, you know, I think that's kind of shocking. Narratively brutal, yeah, but visually, no. Yeah, well, so I think I think in some of the um, the when she went that murder spree, uh, that was that was a bit brutal visually, but I wouldn't say that the camouflage one was particularly really anyway but narratively yeah i mean i think it's it's probably it's darker than a, a lot of marvel films but it's also dark not as dark as a few of them anyway um yeah. i wouldn't say it was notable like i wouldn't mention it you know off the top of my head i think so there's a few scenes that were perhaps but um yeah it seems strange that that's been like a talking point i, I don't really think yeah uh, people are surprised it's, that it's rated 12 12a it's like what yeah it's obviously a 12a yeah. Yeah, I think that that sounds about right, yeah. I think um, one of the aspects of this is in our differing opinions as well. You, it's interesting that you're talking about bias, because I think you're very biased towards the positive, and I'm very biased towards the negative. I felt very cynical about the cameos, um, which kind of makes me biased to the rest of it. Um, and you felt the opposite. You were very biased in a positive way towards the cameos. Um, so I think it's interesting that we're both on the polar opposite ends of that scale of biasness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I actually, I think both of us expected it to be a lot more cameos than it actually was. Yeah, I d- definitely did. And that's what I mean. I w- that's another thing. I wish they'd have either gone all in or just cut it all out. I'd rather have, like, you know, 20 cameos from the Fox X-Men and get the old Fantastic Four back and bring Invisible Woman in. Bring everyone in or just don't bother. If you're going to get five people in who are phoning it in on a soundstage and then kill them in, like, a dull way like that... Don't just don't bother. Oh, dull way. I mean, that's ridiculous. It was though. Um, just don't bother or go all in. Don't do like half ass shit like that. I don't think it was half ass. I think that they they made it non 
Uh, it, well, th- firstly, they couldn't really go much less, but th- I think it, it was plot justified, so it didn't feel over the top. The only one that was un- unnecessary was was Bruce Campbell, and that was tiny. So they, they didn't even feel like these are cameos necessarily. It felt more like this is just how the, the, these are characters in the plot, and it just happened that there were characters that were very interesting and very you know you know people that you know we get to see again, we get to see Patrick Stewart again. Um, you know, I think it all has universal importance. It wasn't just kind of a look at this guy. Um, I don't feel like know, it to was. A degree, I can. Uh, I don't think that Spider-Man did that. Spider-Man. I also think they all had plot importance. So you know, I think fair play to Spider-Man. I don't think but, they had um, plot importance in the multiverse of madness. They just turned up, died, and that was it. They didn't do anything. But I think a lot of their existence is to show the way that the the the, the, the other Doctor Strange went, like went, and they didn't just you know because they could have just covered it in exposition. Uh, and there was a, a, a decent amount of exposition in this film, but I think that without those films, without those characters, it would have felt a lot more clunky. But that's what um, I mean. You, they could have gone all in. They could have shown us, instead of just showing us, you know, Black Bolt and Fantastic, Mr. Fantastic and Captain Carter and Captain Marvel and Professor X stood on like the worst green screen ever for Titan. They could have shown us an alternate version of that battle. Like give us a 10 minute sequence where we see the alternate battle where they kill Thanos. Show us that. Or just cut everything. Why? I feel like that's is that? Oh, is that? Re- I don't think that's ne- that's necessary. I don't think that's ultimately necessary. I think that would have been far more interesting. I mean, it would have been it would have been cool certainly, but I, I mean, like if they didn't want to go for the effort of doing that, like I don't really beseech them. I, I would have liked to have seen uh, if he if he was available and free. I would like to have seen Owen, uh, Owen Griffith uh, come back. It's fantastic. Yeah, that would have been that would have been nicer than better. having a new ones. But I guess if they're bringing in. John Krasinski, it's a nice way because I, I think it's only because I'm biased that I don't particularly want him in there. Um, but uh, you know, they, they um, you know, a lot of people I guess did want him. Yeah, um, I'm just kind of bitter because he's from the American office, to be honest. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, okay, that, that's so, what I mean uh, by like go all in or don't bother. Like I, I don't get why they didn't show us at least some of the battle with Thanos. Like that would have been so cool to see, and that would have justified having the cameos there because they didn't do anything. They showed up, spoke for a bit, then died. They didn't do anything. We didn't get to see Mister Fantastic's powers. Like he just showed up and died. If they'd have shown us like a five, even like a two-minute segment of the fight with Thanos on Titan, that would have justified them being there because we would have seen them do something. Yeah, true. Cool. But I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, it would be that would have been cool. Ultimately, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. With you, but like, I don't think it necessarily changed anything. It just been a night. It would have been a nice moment. But again, like you know, that obviously would have taken a lot of time and a lot of money that maybe they didn't want to put towards something that wouldn't have changed much. Yeah, which is like the entire reason everyone hates Marvel. <laughs> Yeah, um, very cynical right, okay. today. I'm feeling evidently. Yeah, I'm okay, so sorry. What would you be inclined to give us rating wise? Well, I feel like we've spent so long focusing on the cameo segment that something similar is going to happen that happened with Moon Knight, where you're surprised by how positively I review it. Because really, I did very much enjoy most of it. I just hated the cameo segment, like that 20 minute segment with the Illuminati. But I thought the rest of it was very solid, even more than solid. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. One thing I didn't mention is that it is a shame that this is so um, kind of built on the shoulders of giants in such a way that this film feels impossible to watch without WandaVision. That's one thing I didn't say. That that feels, that's the shame here, that this is not billed as a sequel to WandaVision, but you need to watch WandaVision for this to make sense. Absolutely. I saw a funny meme of someone saying, Imagine if someone just went to see Doctor Strange 2 having only seen Doctor Strange 1. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, ultimately, I actually think that it would be less surprising. It'd be less confusing than you'd imagine, I reckon, actually, um, because I think you can work out context. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Um, but I don't think that ultimately really does change it that much. Um, I thought it was refreshing to see some carrots, but I liked the investigation through Alton University, even if I would like to have had a bit more. I think I could feel Raimi's stamp. I thought it looked nice. Uh, and I think that, you know, ultimately, this is uh, one of the best superhero acting performances when, when it comes to people like Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Benedict Wong, yeah. uh, and more. So uh, I think I'll be inclined to be giving this about a 9 out of 10. Wow, that is high. Okay, uh, man of the match. Mine is, is easy. Uh, and that goes to Sam Raimi. Um, he hasn't lost it, my friend. He has not lost it. Uh, this I said there are times, especially at, at those scenes with with the zombies and a lot of the kind of um, the comedic timing that I felt like even if he didn't write this himself, uh, he he managed to to input his stamp in it, and I think that ultimately improves any film. Uh, I love Sam Raimi. I think he's a wonderful director, and I think this is uh, another example of him putting in wonderful work. My man of the match is. It's difficult because Sam Raimi is definitely up there and all your justifications are very good and I'm very tempted to give it to Sam Raimi. But I really do feel like he was held back by Marvel. This is still very much a Marvel film as much as it's very evidently a Sam Raimi film as well. It's still got that Marvel feel to it. And I'm very inclined purely by how much I just enjoyed her to just say Elizabeth Olsen because she is fantastic in this film. And you know what? Fuck it, I am. Elizabeth Olsen is the man of the match. She, you know, carries this film with her villain, Wanda, and she carries this film with her performance. She is fantastic, and she's my favourite part of this film. And, uh, yeah, Elizabeth Olsen is my man of the match. Yeah, okay. Um... Fair enough. Um, yeah, so for Sam for me, but I understand why. Okay, that's uh, that's ended the Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness. Wow, um, it, quite different reviews, quite interesting reviews. Yeah, um, for both of the things we've done today as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, not very yeah, harmonious. Not very harmonious. It's it's. However, it's not like House of Gucci, French Dispatch level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or Dear Evan Hansen, or whatever it was. You know, so <laughs> that was a good episode. You know, there is. Uh, <laughs> Red Notice or whatever, so um, we agree on a lot of points, but I think it's the, the finer details that separate us. Yeah. Um, between now and last episode, it was May the 4th, um, Star Wars Day. Um, yeah. I don't know, I, I don't, neither of us participated in watching the films, because we were mentioned earlier, um, <laughs> but we've both seen all the Star Wars films, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so I want to take your hand to ask you what your favourite Star Wars film is. Favourite Star Wars film? That is a very difficult question. Um, I think it would probably be The Last Jedi, which if you'd have asked me that, if I'd have said that like four years ago, I would have found it insane because I hated it when it first came out. But it's aged so incredibly well and I, I love it. So I'd probably say The Last Jedi. What about you? Uh, I'm a big, big fan of The Last Jedi as well. Um, so, you know, it's definitely out there for me. Uh, but I'm going to say the most boring answer, the most obvious <laughs> answer. Uh, I'm going to say The Empire Strikes Back because right. uh, I, I just, it's, just, wow, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. Yeah. Um, An honourable mention that, to The Rise of Skywalker as well, which is definitely top 10 episodic Star Wars films. <laughs> hey. Um, I'm a Rise of Skywalker fan, of course. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, I, I, I only think the Star, you know, Star Wars... Oh, I have said that you know to be negative when on talk discussing about Star Wars Day. Um, I, I think Star Wars has more bad films than good films. Um, yeah, 
but they have there's amongst um, uh, you know a few mediocre films, a few fun but not great films, and a few poor films. There are three truly exceptional films, I think, in there. And I think Which Star three? Wars, um, The Last Jedi, and The Empire Strikes Back. Them three are Which truly three wonderful. Else? Oh right, yeah, yeah. So that. yeah, so for so yeah, I think you know obviously Vader, especially getting you know. The, the, how wonderful he is in those first two yeah i do um, love rogue one as well i think rogue one is great yeah i love Rogue one too um what about uh what also today is american well when we're recording today is american mother's day yeah um because they do it on a different day to us which is strange but they do father's day on the same day um, strange so how quick, strange so quick, on how theme. strange uh is that uh so who's in the whole uh big wide multiverse of mothers um, who's your favourite cinematic mother? My favourite cinematic mother? Oh god, off the top of my head, that's unbelievably difficult. Off the top of my head, I will go with um, uh, the character that Martin, Scor- Martin Scorsese's mum plays in Goodfellas. She plays Joe Pesci's character's da- uh, mum, and she makes them some That, is, that is a wonderful mum. That is a truly excellent mum. Yeah, mom. I'm going to go with um, that. Yeah, interesting. What about I'll you? i go for... Um, I'm going to go for uh, the mum and moon night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really God, horrible, no. abusive mother. Um, well, um, part of me wants to say um, the obvious answer for me, which would be uh, the... Oh, yeah. Ezzie Davis's mother. Ezzie Davis playing the mother in Baby Teeth. Yeah. Of course. Um, but I'll go for another one of my favourite films. Uh, part of me wants to say like, Lady Lady Princess Diana Spencer, of course, wonderful mother. Obviously, in the film. you know, because I also want just being a good person that is a mother, you know, as a wonderful mother. Um, yeah, Lady. Diana. My actual answer is going to be um, two mothers together, which are Catherine Keener's Maxine and Cameron Diaz's uh, Lottie and being being John Malkovich, who mm. are the ultimate uh, mothering pairing. To uh, to their to their, their daughter yeah. um, at the end of the film. I thought you were going to so make a joke about yeah, America Chavez's two mums. Then <laughs> no, no, I was about Cameron Diaz and Catherine Keener's uh, being two mums. Um, but um, I can't imagine uh, being wanting to be raised by anyone more than uh, the wonderfully kind uh, Lottie Schwartz. So yeah, yeah, that's my favourite ones. Okay, um, that was a nice way to end the episode talking about our favourite cinematic mums. Yeah, that was a nice way, wasn't it? That yeah. was nice. Um, okay, cool. Um, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Um, so, thank you very much for listening. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Sam H Media, uh, Lewis J Lewis J W R, um, and now showing Pod uh, on Twitter. Of course, that's our individual podcast uh, English accounts, and then the podcast account, respectively. You can find us on the, on that box at Sam Houston and LJWR. Uh, we are proud to be members of the Music City Driver Network. Uh, you can find them on their website or at MCDI on Twitter for a whole host of podcasts, articles, and more on the likes of sports, music, and movies. If you like the podcast, the best way to do, uh, appreciate it, the best way to to help it is by telling people about it, word of mouth, that's the best thing to do, but also to give us a five-star rating on both Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify, which you now rate things on. So, um Yeah, thank you very much for listening, uh, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you, and goodbye.